and then uh, clap. One, two, three. Excellent. Woo. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Exiting Through the 2010s, a podcast about the movies from the 2010s. I'm Jack Draper. With me, building our storm shelter, it's Claire Williams. As someone who lived in Northern Virginia, the idea of a storm shelter is fucking nuts to me. Uh, it seems Truly. crazy. <laughs> like, but that's like an actual utility. Like, people use those it, to survive. It's nuts. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, like, I, it is, no, it is nuts. True. And yeah. I always think of this one as a Southern film, but it's in Ohio, which right. is, like, even more... I've been to Ohio. Yeah. Strange to me. That's, the, that's, like, one of those things... Well, I mean, yeah, but it's, it's one of those things where you see that, like, you see a storm shelter, and you're like, oh, I haven't been there. I haven't been anywhere, like, where that <laughs> shit happens. But like, no, I've where been it's required, there. right. I've right. been there. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think Ohio is a part of Tornado huh. Alley. I don't You're think asking it the wrong is. Person. I mean, how often do they? Yeah, how often do they get hit with tornadoes? I don't know. That's a good question because I, I always felt like we were on the cusp of it to some degree, like maybe towards the tail end in Illinois here. I mean, it it, it was weird. I think a couple years ago, we had a tornado touch down in Chicago, like on the north side, and I don't know if that ever had. I'm sure it's happened before, but. We reacted like, you know, oh my right. God, the world is ending because there's a tornado right. in a city like Chicago. You know, I mean, it was. This doesn't happen. It here. was insane. This doesn't happen. And, yeah. Here. <laughs> no. Yeah. Exactly. That was. It was surreal, and I. I want to say it was 2020. So it was like we were still reeling from this pandemic happening too. On top of it, so it was just. Yeah, it did feel like yeah the apocalypse was imminent. Maybe that's why this movie even right. plays more strongly. Um, s- certainly, some <laughs> COVID, uh, you know, al- allegory in mm-hmm. here. Everything's can, a COVID can, allegory uh, now. Ins- Everything. Ins- uh, right. I was gonna say. Fucking yeah. uh, um, Black Adam's a COVID yeah. allegory. What? Like, everything's a COVID allegory at this point. I don't fucking like everything yeah. is every every little piece of social like tidbit. You're like, oh yeah, COVID. Guys, I think don't. Could don't want yeah. that be a COVID allegory? Oh. Hmm. Is that like? Is that crazy? Well, don't, don't but don't look, up, don't look up. Don't look up. Might be reaching. Don't, don't look up. Don't do that. Um, no. Certainly not about climate change. Yeah. What? Certainly not. Climate climate change. That couldn't be a, climate. That, mm, that climate couldn't change. change. Is that where motor oil? <laughs> I don't believe spays out of the sky. <laughs> is that? climate change it's like when like this thick yellow liquid like drips onto your hand is that climate change maybe yeah yeah i think that was orange baby really that they sprayed on yeah 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 uh curtis's pills were tic tacs as well that's why yeah oh for sure gosh when i saw those pills i'm like those aren't (laughs) pills good lord why could Come on, you guys mm. could have done better. I'm not a pill expert. I didn't notice that. <laughs> right. I mean, just have them pop aspirin, you know? Just have them pop some real aspirin or something. I don't know. Before we renovate our bunker, let's but... discuss what we've been watching recently. Would anyone like to begin? I can go. Uh, it's yeah, been a yeah. very yeah, go like, for it. bare diet, but uh, I finished uh, For All Mankind. Mm-hmm. Um, and basketball season has started. Those are the two big things. But I finished <laughs> For All Mankind. Um, good show. I mean, it has some yeah. crazy All three writing. seasons? They're done? All three seasons. I mean, they have they have a fourth season coming up where Joel, Joel Kinnaman will probably play a 70-year-old. Um, they, it's a... 
bizarre cho- uh, show with some bizarre writing choices that I don't fully don't know if I buy all of them. Some of them are like, I don't, that's a, uh, that's kind of nuts. Um, <laughs> but so far it's, I mean, it's, I, I was very pleased. I binged it. Uh, I was hard to take me away. I think it's just one of those shows that it's like the conceit of it is, uh, is like it draws you in, but also how much they play with it. I mean, this has the most time jumps than I've ever seen in a television show, maybe any media in general. Like, it starts in the 60s. Uh, like, that's the first episode is like 68 or 69 or, or I don't know. When, when did we land on the moon? Was it 69? 69, yeah. And now we're all yeah, the way I always to, think, like, last season of Mad Men. Right. right. Now we're all the way up to the 90s. And, like, oh, in, wow. like, the first few episodes, it jumps Weird. five years. And then, and then there'll be just sometimes these episodes hmm. where like, okay, it has been six months since the last episode, that kind of thing. And then in each season so far, so from season one to season two, there was a, it was, it ended in like the seven, like mid seventies and it start and the season two begins in the mid eighties. Same deal, same, same deal goes with like the end of season two to the end of season, to the start of season three. And they'll have just random weird, like, instead of Carter getting elected, it's Ted Kennedy because he never got into Chappaquiddick because he because of the moon landing and all these little details. John Lennon never gets That's assassinated. Cool. Yeah. Michael Jordan gets picked by the uh, Trailblazers. Yeah. I mean, some of this stuff has no, like, connection to the plot at all. Yeah. They'll just be, like, details. It's just or world newspaper, building. Yeah, like, yeah, newspaper yeah. clippings. Yeah. Um, but, it, it, I mean, it, it's great. Great actors. It's, like, kind of made me... This and... Um, his performance in the James Gunn Suicide Squad has finally sold me on Joel Kinnaman. I'm like, oh, okay, good actor. All right, okay, I'm mm. I'm sold now. I was yeah. I wasn't super sold at first, but I'm like, okay, this is good actor, decent actor. Sometimes actors like misused and like miscast. Yeah, you know, and especially like what like you know, example. especially ones that are just like you know foreign that are trying to that people are like that execs are trying to make a staple in American media. Like, you know, you got your your Aussies, like Sam Worthington. Uh, is Taylor Kitsch Australian? No, he's, I think, American. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, he's, he's American. I think so. Yeah. Okay, well, Sounds right. Sam Worthington, and then, like, you got Joel Kinnaman, who's Swedish. Um, who's another leading man they try to make happen? Jai Courtney, another Aussie. Um, oh, yeah. And Jason Clark. <laughs> yes. Ah, uh, Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they did actually. That's funny. You always forget they did actually try to be like leading man, and you're like, eh, sure. I don't know. Probably not. <laughs> yeah. Like we like him. They j- they yeah, they maybe. never found him a franchise. No, he was in Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, and that and he was the lead, and everyone forgets he's in that movie, and he's fine. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I guess he's like suitable. He yeah. just never like led anything of substance or or like that kept going. Um. Yeah. Same with like Joel Edgerton, I suppose. Just to think about Aussies. Yeah, that's unfortunate. I I gotta, yeah. This interesting show mm. sounds really interesting to me. I haven't dabbled too much in the Apple TV <laughs> Plus world, outside of, uh, d- gosh, I can't believe I watched that show, The Servant. But it's probably because it's so out there and ridiculous and implausible and messy and I don't know. I just found it like I I just found it to be kind of like one of M. Night Shyamalan's I mean I, I don't think he's directed every episode but I just thought it was so beautifully shot and 
it, it, without a, like a lot of his trademark like whispering characters and stuff it was just weird and i couldn't stop watching it uh and most recent season i just kind of went maybe i will stop watching it i don't know i don't know where the show is going like it doesn't even seem to have an end goal it it just seems to keep adding layers and weird things that i don't know if it's all going to come together in a satisfying way so i don't think i should commit to it i'm so bad at committing to television shows Um, as people who have listened to this podcast know before i still have not finished the last season of the americans because i don't want it to end um, honestly yeah no, that's like that's better than not being uh, uncommittal to uh to a tv show like just like yeah just savor it um but i mean there's like so much fucking tv out there you know i don't think i, I wouldn't blame anybody for like being like selective right yeah, yeah, yeah. there's too many movies honestly. to watch you there's know? a content there, overload there really is um <laughs> for me i i would say trying yeah. to uh go through my list of horror this month uh invasion of the body snatchers the philip kaufman remake very good very like Mm, uh yeah eerie for for the 70s like that story and the time in which it was made like felt so perfect uh donnie sutherland is great uh have you had any man man dog dog nightmares (laughs) yeah um that i i've i've you know, I felt like in a trance lately, uh, but yeah, mm. um, I I I seen uh, Bi- uh, Ferrer's Body Snatchers, that's what it's called. Yeah, um, yeah, it, yeah, it was quite I like good. This one, I, like, I like it much yeah. more. <laughs> like this, this has like this oh has yeah, a voice. no, that's definitely yeah, the no, best this, of them all. This, like, yeah. I've always heard this is good, yeah. but it's like wow, this is great, and um. Yeah, it, it feels like that there's, like, so much going on beyond, like, the actual film itself. Yeah, it's very good. It's on HBO right now. Yeah, the, the Nicole Kidman one, The Invasion, is another one of those movies that is a complete and total mess, but I still find mm. it interesting <laughs> in the fact that it's kind of a mess. Like, there are a lot of movies like that. I mean, some people would say that about Southland <laughs> Tales, and I'm kind of, yeah, what, whatever that director is yeah. doing, I'm into, even if it doesn't yeah. all make sense. Oh God, God bless Richard Cully. Uh, yeah, yeah, and I feel that way about that Nicole Kidman invasion. It's it, it's clear that the director lost control and other people can't like the studio interfered and it was edited all to hell. Didn't Richard Kelly tell, write Domino? I think that's kind of what makes it interesting. Yeah, yeah. You know yes. that Tony yeah. Scott says yeah, that he was sure did. Or he did he said that that was the best script he ever directed and he thinks he kind of fucked it up. Even though I think it's a good mm-hmm. movie, he thinks he didn't really hmm. he didn't maximize yeah. the potential of the script. But isn't it? it, it it's so great, but like when you hear a director say that, those are two very distinct voices. I mean, oh makes, yeah, and sense. the movie shows it because it's a distinct yeah. fucking oh, sure. uh, nightmare. Um, but it's a uh, good, but mileage may vary. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I'm very sorry, um, but yeah, no, I, uh, I, I need to watch all of Richard Kelly's oeuvre. I need to like mm. sit down because I like Donnie Darko, I like Domino. Yeah. Um, I still haven't opened the box yet, but I'm curious what that's all about. I wonder if yeah, <laughs> that's one of those I've defended really? on oh my other podcasts yeah, as being interesting, even yeah. though again it's kind of bad. I don't it think like it has an interesting like cast. Um, no, I mean like yeah. yeah. No, I mean again, it's a, it's a basically a two hour Twilight Zone, and I I 
maybe that's just mm. my thing, you know, is when you tap into that. I mean, he, he expanded a Twilight Zone episode into a feature-length yeah. movie, essentially, with that story. I think it might have been based on a Richard Matheson story, and then Twilight Zone did that in the 80s, I want to say, and then he sort of ran with that and made it his own. And, of course, there's water wormholes and stuff that you'd expect from Richard Kelly thrown in there. Um, but it's actually a personal movie for him because I think his dad worked for NASA and they throw in that, um, the father in that movie, James Marsden, mm-hmm. works for NASA and there's, it takes place in the era where, in which he grew up. It's just, it, you, it, yeah, it, it, he, he's another one of those directors that has a ton of ideas and doesn't always know how to convey them in a way that's narratively satisfying. Yeah. But I still find the fact that he's trying interesting, so... <laughs> Uh, but I understand when people don't respond. I can too. To that type yeah. of like, yeah, uh, like I, 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 I kind of yeah. wish that like Southlands. I, I kind of wish that Southland Tales was directed by somebody else sometimes. But yeah, sure. No, totally. I can see that. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm all for people going fucking nuts. That's that's my. I think that's. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I think yeah. I, and that's how I feel. Honestly, I think if you don't support that i'm not saying you're i don't i don't want to go crazy i'm not saying you're anti-art but i'm just saying that's like well what the fuck do you, you just want? go on a rant but it's like what do you want if you don't want people to go fucking nuts and do something personal and they don't if you don't want a person to make literally every yeah. project they make like a personal piece of themselves then what, it's very what are we doing here yeah yeah just let people yeah. go yeah. nuts i mean if in people are like oh it's self-indulgent okay sure just Let's just let that's people not a go bad nuts. thing. Let's to just me. sounds like a <laughs> film here today, doesn't it? Let have movie. Let's movies should just have distinct personalities. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, just let them have a voice. Magnolia is incredibly self-indulgent, and Paul Thomas Anderson would probably agree right. with that. You know, I mean, he's even said like, "It's too long now. I wish I could have you know cut it." But I'm like, no, dude, let it let it be three and a half hours. Let frogs fall from the sky. I'm all. I want to see that as opposed to just something cookie cutter. I mean, God, when I saw the trailer for Ticket to Paradise, I'm like, really? <laughs> We're going back to this? <laughs> we don't need this oh, yeah. at all. Right, right, right. No. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I miss you, George Clooney, but still, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, like, yeah, it's interesting how far we've come that it's like Ticket to Paradise does look like something that is refreshing and original but it's like okay wait but yeah then then what, you look on the le- then at? you look on letterbox yeah. and everyone's <laughs> like oh it's actually kind of just it's super mid and i'm just like oh i guess we yeah right exactly yeah yeah it this is where we're at well, yeah. it's so it me. sucks yeah. because it's like it's it, yeah because that movie is feels like a film twitter is wet dream it's like oh romantic rom-coms are back you know movie stars being movie stars again yeah. we got chemistry it's from the director of mom Mia, here we oh go my again God, this yeah. is so great yeah. and then people watch yeah. it and they're like mm-hmm. oh, oh, oh it was fine yeah it was a fine movie yeah it was okay yeah and yeah i was like because i saw i didn't realize that it came out so i looked on like letterbox all right all right what do people think about it and it's just like two two out of five two out or like two and a half two and a half two and a half three two and a half two and a half two and a half and i'm just like i don't well then what was okay what was that for right yeah yeah what's the point in 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 investing your energy into a two star script when you get it like i don't know i mean maybe it doesn't start that way either maybe they read it and went like oh this has a lot of potential but then it goes through all these different people and you know the the, not just who directed it but who edited it and certainly the studios have a say like there's just so many people involved in making a movie that uh, it makes sense that they don't always turn out the way i'm sure 
these stars who sign up for yeah. certain movies, they, they walk away and they, when they see it and they're like, wait a minute, that right. wasn't ex- what I shot or that wasn't what I read on that the page or whatever. That movie just seems like such an easy mean, layup. It just seems so like such a, yeah. just like a total like wide open jogging to the rim just layup. Like it, two <laughs> movie stars being movie stars yeah. and it sh- it should have been like an instant three and a half out of five. Yeah, Caitlin Deaver, like an up and right. Right, and this shouldn't know? have been um, hard, but it was yeah. for, but oh, yeah, for some she's reason. Great. yeah. Yeah, it's one of those things. Those those movies almost drive me more crazy instead of like the disasters. It's when yeah, and not even in, in like of course. I mean, I think most people say that the even at least disasters have some kind of uh, impact on the world, while something middling is like non-existent. But for it to be such an easy layup, just yeah. like a yeah, super totally. like every everything's going for you in this way. Every there's all the factors are playing into this movie being good, and it just being like. Oh. Wet like a wet. Fart. And not to turn this into take, uh, not to turn this into Ticket to Paradise Corner, a movie that none of us have seen. But <laughs> it's almost like all of their jokes were used in the trailer and like marketing to to the that's point what where comedy like, is. Now. Okay, mm-hmm. maybe maybe the critics that saw it were just like pretty much. I, I've already seen the best moments. I mean, these are just like assumptions. I think that movie was like marketed so much where it's like okay i'm sick of this i'm sick of something that i wanted and i and i and i kept seeing like advertisements for it in like late august like it's so strange but um it was really being pushed was, i like, mean it was like i mean, I mean like, it's I, it's cool that something like this is in theaters and not straight to hulu or something yeah at the very sure least. i the thing is i'm It was like with always be my babe, uh, always be my is it maybe always be my maybe. It's yeah, just, always be my maybe. Yeah. I I didn't watch it, and I hear it, and I mm-hmm. it, it's it it sounds to be much better than uh, Ticket to Paradise or whatever. But it's like I didn't watch that movie because it's like oh they give up all the bits in the trailer. It's just like you get the Keanu stuff, you get the shenanigans, and I'm like oh I just wa- I just mm-hmm. saw the movie. I don't yeah and that's it. Yeah no totally yeah you don't need to see the movie <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, it's like you get it all in bite-sized chunks now with certain trailers. I don't know. Is, has there been a comedy this year that's really done it for me? That's it. Feel yeah. It feels like yeah. lately there hasn't been. I, I think that's a good distinction because I think all really the resonated. good comedies, the ones that I saw, were in the first half of the year. Um, like our best friends over at Jackass Forever. I think that is like a succeeding like sure. masterclass. But that's like a very specific example. And like weaponizing our nostalgia for these guys, mm-hmm. and like actually aging, and you know, like like growing up, yeah, like so, yeah, so many exactly, things are about yeah, nostalgia, right? And that's like, but that's not like a comedy. That's like something like a, that's like a cultural touchstone. Um, but yeah, so uh, anyway, JL, would you have anything else that you'd like to discuss for recent watches? Well, I. You know, I know this is the spooky season, and I That's really right, October. wanted to try so hard to yeah. commit to that. I've yeah. been watching is it, is it, no, weird, nothing right? horror related. Um, I've been so bad. <laughs> I've been I've been surprised at how much I've lapsed. To be honest, I I mean, again, being busier, it being kind of a hectic month in general with life, but. The, the that, that whole letterbox to October I challenge. Never, I was oh like, okay, this is what this is what I need. This is what I need right, right now, and right. I haven't been able to do it. <laughs> the <laughs> idea of sad. it sounds better like, than actually no. like writing out like a schedule. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I it, I wanted to get back into you know writing little capsule reviews and you know s- seeing some titles that I've yet to catch up with. 
but between doing my own podcast and my day job and this um, really cool mental health film festival that I've been covering called Mental Filmness that uh, my partner has put together, it's been really great because I'm very passionate about that, as we'll talk about. Um, but really, the only thing that's stood out recently that I just, I'm, I'm sure it's already on your radar, and I think we talked about it off mic, and uh, that's the latest oh, from Sarah Polly, yes. who, um, you know, is another sort of favorite mm-hmm. writer director of mine. I've loved all Very of good her episode, three right? movies, and this is her. F- of course, of course. Oh, thank you, thank you so much. <laughs> it's her first yes. film in ten years, and you know when you. If you if you happen to pick up her her really great memoir that she put out this year called Run Towards the Danger, you'll know why it's taking her so long to to put together a new movie. She's been through a lot in those ten years, including yeah, having a near concussion death experience. At one point. That was really just pretty like much crazy. Yeah, to hear about that was yeah, yeah for sure. I know and. Uh, Women Talking is her latest with, uh, yeah. gosh, what a, what a cast. Uh, Rooney Mara, Claire Foy, uh, Jesse Buckley, Frances McDormand, mm-hmm. Ben Wishaw. I mean, just uh, an incredible mm-hmm. ensemble that's going to attract uh, attention come award season. But what really surprised me the most about it is that it kind of is unlike her other films um, in that it's more like a filmed mm. play where – the emphasis is, I mean, look at the title. That's right. the that's the movie. It, yeah. A lot of it is women sitting around together talking. Uh, but it's, it is based on a true story of a Mennonite colony, I believe in Bolivia, where uh, hundreds of women were routinely drugged with um, an animal anesthetic Jesus. and were abused in, in different ways. And it's awful. It's an awful story to learn about. But there's this particular group of men that, uh, yeah, violated every member of the colony. So you're, you're in for a very heavy and difficult viewing experience at times when they're recounting certain things. But you also get to experience their anger and disgust um, over what's happened. But it's the, the, what it ultimately leads up to is some serious decision making like what are these women going to do in order to move forward uh what does it mean to move on and forgive if they can at all are they being they they question whether they're being cowardly by choosing to leave entirely uh or should they outright confront these men and you know do some kind of damage it's to me it's a lot like 12 angry men only in this case it's several angry angry women debating you know what is best for them and their families and you know there's even the thought of exacting revenge but it it all builds up you know in a way that surprised mm-hmm. me and i won't spoil why obviously but it's just it is gr- it is a great film and the performances there's certain moments where you're like well, this could be the Oscar clip. And yeah. I don't mean that in a bad yeah. way in this case, because, you know, when you have people like Claire Foy and Jesse Buckley, especially, I'm just kind of like in awe of how effortless they seem to just be great in everything they do. Uh, but no, again, like the many strengths of Sarah Polly are here. It's just, I, I guess, based on her other films, maybe I was expecting a lot more cinematic touches or some stylistic flourish, but it's, it's, it's kind of mm-hmm. devoid of that. And I don't necessarily, again, meet that in the pejorative sense. It's just, um, it's different. I mean, maybe it's more along the lines of something like her first film away from her, but it's, it's restrained in that regard. 
So it's it's mostly all in one space with lots of interesting, compelling conversations. But yeah, I mean, the star of the show is the dialogue and the acting. So that for that alone, it's a strong recommendation for sure. And I just adore mm. Sarah Polly yeah. in, in every way, as an actress, as a writer, as a director. So it's uh, it, it, everybody has something to look forward to. Is it going to release wide season, or is so. it a streamer? I think it's Christmas. I think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's around there. Yeah, I think so. I feel like uh, MGM should be paying us. That was a fantastic no. advertisement <laughs> for uh, for the new Sarah Polly. Oh, uh, thanks. Poly. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, no. I just yeah, I just yeah, want yeah, people yeah. to see it. I mean, you know, I, when, when you read the subject matter, yeah, you kind of go, oof. I don't know. Uh, it's going to be a lot to take in, and it is. But um, no, it I mean, it seems like the. It's been it's, described it's a great movie as like the emotional about. process of healing in a lot of reviews. So I feel like that will yes, that will bring yeah. It's about it's about resilience, resilience and, and healing, yeah, and patience. Um, and that will yes. bring a lot of um. It won't soften it, but it'll it'll just like bring more power to to these characters, um, coming to a resolution rather than like seeking any sort of of revenge or or um or seeking vengeance um but i I think it's just so in that case it's just a new perspective and no i think that it's interesting that we have sarah polly making another film after 10 years different circumstances but like we see other filmmakers Mm -hmm. like todd field like james cameron that are coming back this year which is like so interesting that we get like a coincidence of like so many directors yeah. yeah todd field way to go man <laughs> in my mind i'm still putting no i i really i risk yeah, yeah. yeah no no definitely i but again like i do feel that this movie is important and that yes it's giving voice to women who have been through mm. a lot of trauma but it's an opportunity for men to listen <laughs> you know the movie is called women talking men yeah. need to listen to them and that's what the experience of watching this movie is like. And in a way that provokes a lot of emotion and thought I know. too. So yeah, for sure. It's powerful. It's a, it's yeah. a powerful experience. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I wish there, I didn't word that, but I'm very excited. I'm very excited to see it as well. I'll be seeing it soon. Um, Jim Leskowski is here with us today. Hello. Hello. Thank you for being here. Yeah. Oh, I am. That's right. <laughs> it's me. Um, Similar to your pod, we would like to uh, investigate how each guest got into film initially. Um, before we take shelter, please explain the flow <laughs> of cinema. This is where I get to feel old since I'm about two decades I, just, older than listen, you young just a, just a number, right? That's just... There are, there are two moments kind of that culminate. I mean, uh, yeah, I decided movies are for me to the point of prioritizing them over just about anything else. You know, it's on par with food, air, water, music. These are all essential things I need, <laughs> I think. Um, oh, also, I've lived with cats all my life. So we I kind of need them around, the six, too. And, huh. Yeah, that's yeah. that's hard to do. I mean, does cat, I does cat go air, above six? Probably be number six. Yeah. Like... <laughs> It, yeah, I think I think it could. I mean, certainly cats are, are, are actually good viewing buddies sometimes uh, when you're watching a movie. But um, I said on a recent episode, and I've said it a lot, actually, that 
what really kickstarted my love of movies was when I saw one that I first related to for the first time. I mean, I'd seen a lot of spectacle movies, certainly your Spielberg or your Back to the Future um, in the 80s, but then uh, around the age of 12 in 1990, I saw this kind of underground, little-known coming-of-age movie called Ooh. Pump Up the Volume. And it's directed by Alan Moyle, starring mm-hmm. Christian Slater. And it was the first time I saw myself mm-hmm. on screen. I was seeing this shy loner who had trouble socializing and connecting with people, uh, which also include their parents, his parents. But he could talk in front of a microphone. And that's that was his outlet. That was his way of getting out his feelings. Um, even if like he was thinking initially, like, I'm just doing this for myself. I'm just venting almost like as a monologue. Uh, that's very therapeutic and then eventually yeah he he built a a little cult following amongst his peers and he used this voice disguiser so his his uh peers at the school wouldn't necessarily know it's him but he barely talks in school anyway so i don't think they would have detected his voice like if he was walking down the halls or anything but when i saw this movie and saw this character who uh yeah just kind of you know he preferred to hang out at the library as opposed to like going out and partying, you know, like a typical high schooler or something, you know, who wants to be a social chameleon or whatever, just wants to connect with a lot of people, but he did it in his own way. In his parents' basement. He started this pirate radio station. Right. Um, and I started listening to talk radio too, of all things. And you know, I, th- I think that's still out there and exists, but like, I feel like talk radio basically became podcast. To be clear, not the Oliver Stone. Um, <laughs> right. That's true. Right. Exactly. AM talk radio actual. Yeah. You know, you turn a dial and sort of figure out where to, yeah. Uh, get a radio signal, but no, that's, that's, it was an interesting, cause I don't know, especially when you're that age, I don't know a lot of teenagers listening to talk radio, <laughs> um, but, and I'll, you know, and certainly I was watching Siskel and Ebert on TV. Uh, that, that was another contributing factor where I was just watching two guys nerd out for a half hour about the latest new releases. Um, and yeah, I, I think around that same time, maybe a few years later, I went to an out door mall theater to catch this movie that everybody couldn't stop talking about you may have heard of it mm-hmm. it's called pulp fiction so that was another turning point it doesn't bring <laughs> I, uh, the hell. I, I yeah this again Underrated. kind of obscure yeah. indie underground yeah oh, did he, filmmaker uh, did that writer also think, write for tony scott i think uh, I, yeah. I, I i think, think so, so. <laughs> sorry i'm doing <laughs> yeah. I must be no 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 it must not be must I not can't be. No, I think I he think, wrote Crimson yeah, Tide. Yeah. No. Um he he actually wrote like some yeah. of the dialogue in Crimson Tide. But anyway, uh <laughs> uh I would say around that same time, you know, and certainly he having wrote revenge. A, that's uh, what it was. He wrote membership. Revenge. Do you know which lines he wrote? Mm, yeah. Do you know which the lines greatest he wrote Tony Chris Scott Crimson movie. Tide? The most chill Tony Scott I have movie. a guess. Uh, oh my gosh. Mm, I wonder what it could be. It has nothing to do with pop <laughs> right. culture. I'm is sure. it, is it, right. I, in all seriousness, is it the um, Silver Surfer like diatribe? I fucking knew that. Yeah. Knew yeah. that. This, yeah. this knew that. I know. This does. It sounds familiar. Now. <laughs> only yeah, fucking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Only 
fucking Quentin yes. would sneak Only, in a Jack yeah. Kirby reference in a fucking submarine movie. You big fucking in nerd. the in the mid in the mid nineties, right? coming right after Pulp Fiction. Oh I knew the moment you said that. I'm like, nah, I don't think it's the equi- I don't think it's like the equestrian like horse like dialogue. I, that's, I don't. I don't think that's. Him. Yeah, I know Clay's like that's too obvious. Yeah, it's like it has to be the silver surf. Like, cause it's one of those things that it is so. I, I love it, but it's so out of left field in the middle of that fucking right, movie right, right, right. denzel is like oh right? you know me yeah. i'm a huge comic book nerd mm-hmm. and it's just like <laughs> it's just very random <laughs> and there's a very long exchange about it that it was just surprising that i'm just so you saying yeah. that i'm like well, what could he possibly have written that fucking movie i'm like oh it's the silver surfer thing all right Go and then on, like sorry. right after that movie the movie gets like right back into like thrill like tense contained thriller mode where it's like mm-hmm. okay, what so, oh man yeah, no, I mean, that was that was the era. Like, I mean, I, I think, I don't know if I've said this recently on a show or not, but Quentin Tarantino became almost a rock star in the same way we all idolized Kurt Cobain of Nirvana. It was, it was, it was weird because, because I, I'm pretty sure it was the same year Kurt Cobain took his own life, and then suddenly that fall i see pulp fiction and then suddenly i'm like wait a minute i think i love movies more than grunge music now <laughs> it was just this weird sort of transition in a way and and then quentin tarantino's like on every talk show and he's i mean this is based on two movies siskel and eber did a whole entire episode devoted to tarantino mm-hmm. after just reservoir dogs and pulp fiction he, and he which is just is, unheard he, of he right goes, um, he is he explodes into every community possible that absorbs any kind of pop culture. Yeah. He is probably the most referenced filmmaker ever in rap music. Just like by Oh really? An absurd it's him You're or Scorsese. Right. I think mm-hmm. he ha- I think he has Scorsese beat. But that's like by an absurd amount. He is mentioned in like almost every single rapper that I can think of has name dropped him in a song. Yeah. Like that's how prolific yeah. he, in the sense yeah. of his, and, and, um, and whatever you want to say about the quality of his films or whether or like how actual like what how much merit there is to how huge of a impact he's had uh, debate with a wall. I don't care. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about just the true just vastness of um, uh, of people knowing who he is and like you said to, to, to support your like idea mm-hmm. of a rock star. It is name. like because I can't because yeah I mean Kurt Cobain from the rap music I've listened to is not as referenced as much as Quentin Tarantino. No, I wouldn't think so. But yeah, I mean that's just it was a weird time the mid '90s that just felt like suddenly everybody I knew were wearing right. Pulp Fiction shirts in the same way that before that and he becomes it was Nirvana and shirts. He becomes synonymous. I don't with know. It was in movies. Like he, he becomes another, he just becomes mm-hmm. another word yeah. for like, Oh, is it like Tarantino esque as in the idea of just like, there's quote unquote gratuitous violence in movies. He becomes a syn- synonym with just a concept yeah. of like what, like uh, a f- what, f- what is in the movie? What, like what features it, uh, the movie has? Like, is it a Tarantino style film? Um, yeah. Yeah, there was so many copycats and people who wanted to replicate exactly what he did. He does, and of course, like know, it wasn't on it was, purpose, but it like got kind it, of obnoxious. Think, like, uh, the '90s output became yeah. iconography onto itself, and I, and of course, like um, 
like misused like like what what he was trying to say with morality and like jackie brown and pulp fiction like that was completely taken out of mm-hmm. context but but it's um, also one of those yeah and where... also like of course in the 90s when he was a when he was a mascot like i don't know if people would know about uh one car wire able Ferreira if it weren't for him i feel like him and scorsese are the no, that's only a good ones point. who have really prov- like are quote-unquote provocateurs that have become so foundational in pop culture as in the idea of that you would have news segments fox news segments cnn segments arguing about violence in like tarantino films is scorsese glorifying crime mm-hmm. blah 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 and yeah. it's the idea of mm-hmm. even though they you know provoke so much like fucking like conservative right-wing uh uh, talking points of just like our media is corrupting our youth blah 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 he's still like not but they're still like insanely famous it feels like i see what you're saying about i see what you're saying about like comparing marty and quentin but i think like quentin is like on another level because he has that oh because that he's so obnoxious he's, like, he's <laughs> i mean yes <laughs> but also it's like um i think he's begun to chill out as he's gotten older but you have that clip of him like um arguing with Maybe you guys know the name, but arguing with that film critic on 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 the news, where when Kill Bill was coming out, or like oh, um, there's that one time yeah. when someone was coming up to him, it was a <laughs> news reporter, and he like smacked the camera away. So he's like much more like combative, or I think he's the most combative like provocateur filmmaker that we've ever had, especially like with that, you know, like that Gen X like quality that that he's sort of like the rebellious sort of like kid that like the films the film clerk kid you know it's like it's that combative quality mixed with those influences yeah it's like that combination was i like, can only so compare real. him to like musician and musicians in the sense of how famous he is even though he alienates so many people you know what i mean like i don't think movie stars yeah. do that i don't think there's mm-hmm. a i don't think there's a movie star who alienates a huge portion of society while also being like a movie star musicians i can only think of like, you know, you have your yeah. princes, your Lady Gaga. I mean, maybe not Lady Gaga, but like, well, I mean, I don't know. At some point when, you know, when she was at the height of her style of fashion and stuff, there was pushback. Um, of course, you have uh, rappers yeah. in general uh, who have a huge pushback, um, especially at their peak. But it's just like Tarantino is... And, and, I, and I mentioned Scorsese because, I mean, the violent stuff, but also just... Uh, last temptation of christ like just someone who gets mm, who sure, got sure. who has gotten so much shit through their career mm-hmm. but also has maintained to be like almost everyone's like top five favorite filmmaker like even if you go to joe Schmo yeah. up the street they're gonna be like oh yeah i love martin scorsese yeah yeah that that, that hasn't happened necessarily <laughs> with someone like kevin smith who, although yeah clerks 94 again that yeah. was kind of huge at the time, you know, well, it's like, oh, you can you can make a movie. I mean, it's funny cards. where it's like, Clay and I <laughs> you know, laugh at, at the idea of you mentioning Kevin Smith oh, next no, to the, the... Marty in, in in any context. Oh, sure, but sure. It's like no, at the yeah. time, yeah, the time. I, I was I was gonna like, I, yeah, you were there for like Clerks being the biggest deal and it being like such a hit at Sundance, and and I can only I can only imagine, right? But yeah. it's, but it really is like you know we we're just getting like what clerks three this year and like we're just like okay old man you're the you're the fat man on batman we get it but then like no it's like he was a totally it was a literally a different person like looks like a different person and it's kind of crazy to wrap my my head around um you know because yeah yeah he was a chubby dude that (laughs) smoked all the time and 
Now he's like <laughs> Mr. Fitness and vegan. I'm just like, who are you, Kevin Smith? I mean, I'm right. glad you're healthy. I'm and glad you survived well. the heart I mean, attack. We're not, wish, yeah. we're not wishing you ill will or anything. Yeah. No, I mean, but then, you know, last but not least, it, it, 97 was also kind of a huge deal because I saw Boogie Nights. And I remember seeing that again in a suburban theater with a, a, a lot of people who were just like, what am I watching? This is nuts. And I was overjoyed, you know, and that was another instance of me like going, well, I'm going to write down this director's name and follow him from this point forward in the same way I did with yeah. Tarantino. You know, I mean, that was um, that was huge. You know, Boogie Nights in 97. And certainly once we get to the year 1999, that's that's the end all be all, <laughs> you know, for a lot of people who there's a reason yeah, there's is, a podcast there, all about 1999. I don't, I don't see it. Hmm. Mm, if there isn't, there should be. You know, just, just cover, cover every movie. movie with the co, no, I don't think there's a year. podcast. Would the co-hosts have somehow written and created a show that I watched on Fox that had a great John Noble performance? <laughs> no, but I, I like what you, what both of you are saying about kind of these directors being subversive, like punk rock, and just you know throwing caution to the wind and doing what they want to do without thinking about like, well, is this going to appeal to a mainstream audience or not? Right. You know, and yeah. they just do it. Right. And budgets are for the began. best. And yeah. Clearly like, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, that's, it was an interesting era to be alive in, you know, in the nineties and sort of come of, come of age and realize like, Oh my God, there's, there's just this wealth of artistry going on at that time to where, now, currently, when I watch most new movies, I'm just kind of like, meh, it was all right. You know, for the, there's some, there's definitely some gems here and there, but I don't know. I felt kind of spoiled mm. at that time. <laughs> I was always going to the movies and just kind of being like, wow, maybe not every week, but certainly they're just, it just, it just felt like this incredibly um, vibrant time to be a cinephile. You know, I mean, just, and it helped to have, friends like oh we're just gonna go to the movies all the time we're just gonna rent movies all the time you know that that communal bonding experience but i feel like i that died down and then suddenly i discovered podcasts like film spotting and film junk and even what kevin smith was doing early on when this new revolution began called podcasting and then i started to feel that sense of community even if i was just mm. listening to people nerd out about the things I loved. And uh, then the next thing you know, I'm like, oh yeah, I guess I can connect with all these people on social media and have a dialogue once in a while or even appear on their shows. So, you know, there's there's just been so much joy with my love of movies and it's not even always about the movies. It's about the people who love and share the same passion that uh, I, I continue to feel grateful for. That's the main reason why I do Directors Club is that I want to hear what the guest has to say. I mean, I'm certainly happy to ramble. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> but I'm, I'm most interested in the other person's thoughts because they're going to be new and exciting. You want to be more uh, pump up the volume than you do talk radio, is what you're saying. Yes. Yes. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. I'm not, I'm not here to <laughs> preach to you oh my gosh. and be like, this is what's wrong <laughs> with cinema today. Let me tell yeah. you. Oh. You don't want to be the worst person you know. ever, of course. Um, and that no. leads us into no. Take Shelter and your relationship. Please go first with... Uh, oh, boy. 
You got a good life, Curtis. I think that's the best compliment you can give a man. Take a look at his life and say, that's good. I love you, man. Bye. What's the matter with you, Curtis? It sounds like thunder. What sounds like thunder? I've been having these dreams. They always start with a kind of storm. Missed you at church this morning, Curtis. Thinking about cleaning up that storm shelter out back. Where the hell have you been? I know. I'm sorry. I had to run in here. I'm going to build out the tornado shelter in my backyard. I could use some help. The hell you want to do that for? This needs to be done. You didn't say one word about this to me. I didn't want you worrying about it. Samantha. Are you out of your mind? I'm doing this for us. I know you don't understand. You want to waste money on a stupid tornado shelter? If your mother was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia in her 30s, I thought people were watching me and listening to me. Stewart's been telling me how strange Curtis has been acting lately. Has anyone seen this? Told people what you've been doing. I know. I'm sorry. This is how you treat friends. Okay, um, well, this is a little bit of a weird story because it involves me listening to a, it's a good transition actually because it I mentioned film junk right and the, this is this is Canadian podcast it's been I think it's the longest running podcast maybe even longer than film spotting um, and I first heard about Take Shelter listening to their show because they you know got access to screenings or they were attending film festivals like the Toronto International Film Festival but it is also the podcast that you know made me think hmm maybe I should try and do this myself but one of the hosts of the show is um, actually a really great filmmaker named Jay Cheel and before I had even seen Take Shelter he told this bonkers story about the first time he saw it and I can't recall where and when he saw it. I, it might have been like the Zurich Film Festival or just somewhere way out there because I think he was working production on a film or something. And he saw a late screening of it somewhere. And strangely enough, someone very famous was in the crowd for his screening uh, of Take Shelter. And it was none other than Larry Fishburne. He was there to enjoy... Um, Jeff Nichols take shelter. But sadly, <laughs> Larry Fishburne was not being oh. a well-behaved mm. viewer of this movie, often making inappropriate comments out loud. And I'm pretty sure the screening wasn't packed or anything, and I don't know if they were going to like kick him out if he, if he was doing this regularly or throughout the whole movie. Maybe he had been drunk or just maybe not vibing with what he was watching. But yeah, he was kind of having a borderline MST3K experience funny. at times with it. Uh, it's weird. Um, and I can't remember like 
a ton of things that Jay had said. He said, outside of one very memorable response, there's a moment in Take Shelter when uh, Curtis, played by Michael Shannon, is having a serious night terror, one of many, and then he suddenly wakes up to find <laughs> that he has wet the bed. So, so Lawrence Fishburne, after seeing that moment on screen in this rather silent theater, just yells out, whoops, <laughs> very loudly after he <laughs> wets the bed. And oh, so that, that's, that screening that Jay had um, might have affected his initial viewing just because how can you not be distracted by the fact that Lawrence Fishburne is kind of making fun of this really profoundly dramatic and intense movie and you know well poor curtis right he's that's so sad that that happened to him and lawrence Fishburne is just like yeah whoops at a certain amount of money to have <laughs> lawrence fishburne do commentaries for every movie he watches and just have you know that yeah recorded. yeah yeah, after after knowing that, yeah, stick Larry no, Fish sure. into tar. Um, it would have to God. be a second watch, though. That's the thing. That's the, that was the reason why that experience was so bad. It was a first watch. You yeah. gotta you gotta watch a movie with Larry the second time, not the first time. That's where you made the, that's where you made the mistake. Yeah, yeah. I had no idea what to make of the fact that like yeah, Morpheus doesn't have proper theater <laughs> manners. You know, I mean like. It would be that, even that, better if he that, was hearing that story. Of course, movie. I was he laughing. Was prob- yeah, or, he was probably Marcus. a little <laughs> drunk or something. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's my, that's my guess. I I would hope that's no, not I for how sure he believe that. all the time. But no, I mean, Jay did give the movie a positive review, um, and of course, he watched it again a second time and loved it even more. And him and I have had very similar tastes in the past. And I had seen mm-hmm. Shotgun Stories and became a huge Michael Shannon fan based on both that and Revolutionary Road, which I believe he yes, was he nominated was. Yeah, for. Yeah, his first nom. Yeah. I want to say. He has the weirdest yeah. nominations. Yeah. Uh, he really does. And we've, we've covered yeah, he, the other yeah, one. Yeah, you know, in, he definitely uh, does. Was he just a mm. Globe nominee or oh, did right, he get yeah. nominated for... Um, uh, fuck. I sounded pretty confident. I no, hope no, he was no, a no, supporting no, actor. No, no, I think you're right. No, I'm talking about the other I movie. I think the, he was. The Tom Ford movie, the bad one. Oh, Nocturnal Animals. Yeah. yeah that was a Golden Globe nom. Yeah. I'm pretty oh, sure. I right. want, I mean, I hope I'm not getting the, well, because Nocturnal Animals is 2016. That was like the wrong Oscar year. Gosh, yeah. I saw that movie. I gotta see that again. That I don't remember be, if I that, liked it as much. It's funny, I'm like... I like the acting, and, and I'm pretty sure I've certainly liked yeah. Michael Shannon in yeah. everything. That could um, be just like he's had three nominations, not two, and it was Nocturnal Animals and Shape of Water. Huh. I thought it was only two. Well, Yeah. Anyway. No, that's interesting. I, uh, I saw Take Shelter in downtown Chicago at an art house theater, the same theater where, I don't know if I saw it before or mm-hmm. after, but Tree of Life. You know, and I walked out and was just like, oh, my Lord, movies, 2011, <laughs> give me more. <laughs> really? Like, I mean, and I couldn't move from my seat when this movie had ended. I just, I, I felt like I just absorbed every emotion possible watching this movie. I mean, that, that there was a, quite a few. I, I know that um, you recently had Mariah Gates on for Drive, and I can, I can, I certainly understand somebody picking that as a favorite of the decade. Uh, 
And she incidentally mentioned that she saw Take Shelter as a double feature. And that's one of the reasons why I'm like, mm. oh, mental note, Take Shelter. Um, Got to come on for that because it means a lot to me. But I just, yeah, I just remember thinking I'm, I'm all in on Jeff Nichols, Michael Shannon, Jessica Chastain. Um, I just want to follow them from this point forward because this movie affected me very deeply. Uh, I'm, as I mentioned, passionate about accurate portrayals of mental illness. And yet this mm-hmm. film has layers, you know, that kind of go, you, you can watch it for that aspect, but um, it goes beyond being about psychosis or mania or anxiety. You don't even have to necessarily use the label schizophrenia, although it's used here and there, especially when it, in regards to his mother. But no, I just, I, I feel like Jeff Nichols films all come from uh, a place of, fear of the uncertain maybe like just a a general human fear we can experience like whether it's losing a family member or you know what what does it mean to be a good father or a husband or you know watching your child become the person they're meant to be the fear of growing up and and coming of age or you know even moving forward or just he, he I just think he's a very thoughtful empathic Mm -hmm. filmmaker and this is probably the best example of him firing on all cylinders for me with take shelter so it's 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 probably going to remain my favorite yeah it's my favorite of his um and so so impressive that it's a sophomore feature uh and just striking at this right time of both shannon's career chastain's career and uh the amount of time that he had this idea of a dad looking out into into the distance with a shelter um, bunker, which or like a you know a, a, a sh- mm-hmm. um, and yeah, it's like all those things combined. I think it just made for and the like the 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 sense of like unknown, yeah, like what he'll return to in this sort of being the genesis of, um, yeah, it it all just sort of like lays the groundwork for, for his career to come. And like we've covered in mud and then uh, with loving and midnight special, I, I think it's just like sort of like all of those things are building upon each other. Um, and this one, yeah, it's remaining my favorite. I think it's cause it was like the first one I saw after mud, like this and mud I saw around the same time because I saw this, like when I was getting into film, I, I saw this YouTube, I came across this YouTube video that it was like the best acting ever compilation part one. I'll try to find, I mean, it's the worst thing ever. Cause you're like, okay, like what performances are in here? Like Daniel Day Lewis and there'll be blood. Like, Heath Ledger Joaquin in Phoenix. the dark night. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Like it was one of those where it's like, I score yeah. can watch this and feel like this is the pinnacle of like acting and, and in the mode that it's supposed to go to capital a is, acting is right. Absolutely. And I mm-hmm. saw um, Shannon in the, you know, the um, the community dinner scene. Um, and it was like, there's a storm mm. coming. I was yeah. like, what is this? And I was What is this storm? This... I got to get to a shelter. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> and you go, none of you are ready for it. And, and... You <laughs> hadn't seen Twister yet, so you yeah, didn't right, know what exactly. Con yeah, Storm was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. I was, I was in this, I was in this class um, that was like a study hall thing, and my friend and I were watching this compilation. We're like, 
we we went to our our uh, teacher who was who was in the class. He's like, that movie or that scene that you just watched that was from Take Shelter. I really liked that, and and he was like, he was recommending to us, Mister Mister B. That was our teacher. That's right, and he was like, yeah, you should watch Take Shelter. And he was like recommending it to like junior high school students, and we're like, oh okay. So we and he was describing it as like a Twilight Zone movie, and, and or like you know Twilight Zone asking that got me interested. And it was based off like someone describing it like the Twilight Zone that was most compelling, or that was like the pitch to me. And like I and and watching mm-hmm. and like reflecting it on that, and then like going back to the rewatch, I'm, I'm like, I, I guess it is, but it's like so thoroughly a Jeff Nichols movie more than it, anything else. Um, you know, it's so it's yeah, a it's grounded, like, grounded like human drama human... Um, about like, I mean, I, yeah, I, you know clearly you can insert anything you'd like to in into the storm i think but it's it's one of those things where it's like i i I know that the teacher at the time who um who made a point to recommend take shelter just became a new dad and i think you can certainly read into like the anxieties of starting a family um then it's just like okay well is this like yeah just about not knowing what's out there in america you know it's just like is this about like the the great unknown because you'll never understand like the entire world so you know it's like to me like that's the fun that it's like i know that like fully frustrated people at the time maybe or i mean you know the movie is successful and it was like well reviewed but then there were some people where it's like okay like we need more answers than what than what we got but it's like that's what keeps this like timeless for me and that i think that's what keeps this like my yeah, for, by not spelling everything out, yeah. I think that's important. But it also feels a little prescient, and certainly what we talked about with it could you could look at it as this like yeah fear of what's what's to come in the form of a pandemic or our awful Trump regime <laughs> that we experienced. I mean, it's just there's a lot that you can insert into this and not necessarily like just label as like, well, it's about a guy going crazy. (laughs) You know, it's, it's not, it's a lot more than that. You know, I mean, it's, he did that so well with something like bug, uh, you know, and this is, this is like even more, um, like, like, yeah, like a grounded human blue collar (laughs) version of something like bug where that's a little bit more about the histrionics and going mad within a confined Mm -hmm. space. But yeah, I just don't know. Like, there's like that that trifecta of Michael Shannon um, mental illness portrayals with Bug, Revolutionary Road, and for this. Sure. And that, that's, this one that's is a my funny favorite, trifecta for sure. No, I, and I remember like at, when I first saw this, like I remember thinking like, okay, this can't be like the 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 science the scientific reasoning of just diagnosing you as, as schizophrenic. I feel like that Nichols even reading mm-hmm. not reading anything. Uh, with Nichols talking about it um, outside of the film itself. Like, I kind of got the sense, like, it's much more than that, uh, anything scientific-related. And uh, I, I still believe that. It's, like, this this fear and, and the nightmares and, and sort of the, um, the the lack of communication that he had with, that Curtis has with Sam, uh, it all feeds into this, like, sort of dreadful experience that, that uh, we face as adults. And know not to conclude with one interpretation i don't think the film is meant to be but yeah yeah are are both of you okay with the amount of dream fake outs because i i feel like some people 
if, at this point in time, do you find that to be a it's, yeah? Very I was gonna cool bring game. that up too. It's I I I mean I like it because it like yeah. plays with our ex. I mean for me, I, I'd like to think it plays with our. Uh, expectations because we know like okay they're gonna yeah. wake up in a cold sweat and like if things start to like uh if the visual language starts to look more um abstract then we're just like okay well it's a dream but but no i think that it gets way with with a lot with its mileage i mean your mileage may vary but uh for me it, it works because it's just like that's the hypnotic quality of the of the film and it's like what if your routine is disrupted then so my mm-hmm. i agree this film does it well, but the trope in general has almost ruined movie. I don't know. It's not ruined, but it's like it has ruined a lot of great <laughs> it hasn't helped. moments in film and television. And it, did, it doesn't even ruin the moments when it actually does happen. But it's so prescient mm-hmm. in media, especially now, that trope is that when anything unexpected happens with what i'm watching i will sometimes just like oh so this is a dream right and then it will turn out not to be a dream and it'll take me out yeah and you know and i have to then kind of recalibrate it's like okay well is that my fault or the uh movie i'm watching's fault like is that like did they not build up to that moment correctly did that feel too out of left field or was i just so up in my own head about like trying to figure out what was going on that i lost the moment um i think we as storytellers as the collective we as in humans need to get away from that trope because i think it has been done to death and i think it has kind of lost it, it it hurts the impact of genuine like reveals and twists and impactful moments even when it's not there um there's there's a moment in for all mankind when this huge thing happens and i'm like so that was a dream right that didn't actually happen um and it did happen uh and with this with take shelter um individually like specifically i think it works when filmmaking you almost immediately know it's a dream almost just like uh, uh, like just the moment you're watching it because there will be different camera angles there will be different um lighting choices there will be just a different pace in the music and in the tone of what you're watching like i don't think any of us thought the like in the the dream where he's seeing samantha did anyone even for a split second think that wasn't a dream Oh no! It was yeah. It was so clear. So a dream. When it comes to those moments, I'm okay with it. I'm. It has to be like that's the key. When anyone, anytime dreams are depicted in media, they have to be distinct, or you lose the entire imagination, creativity, or impact of a character having a dream, because then it feels so tacked on and artificial and. Just more in looking to get a rise out of you more than an actual, like, reveal into the character's interiority. Um. Yeah, I think that, that you, yeah, you nailed it with that. It's character driven. It's not done as a gimmick to manipulate the audience in any way. It's it's driven by, yeah, his internal state. And we get to almost be privy to that. 
as opposed to like something like in a lot of horror movies where I, I mean, even recently, I won't go into great detail because it could borderline spoil be a spoiler. But when I saw the movie Smile, which I thought, you know, it's 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 not bad for what it wants to be. But then something crazy you know, something batshit crazy happens and I'm like excited all of a sudden because I'm like, oh, it's going to go there. Really? Okay, this is nuts. Let's go for it. And then it turns out to be a dream. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a shame because I thought you were going to especially a do horror, something a little I more can, audacious. I can see that being like such a yeah. trick, so manipulative. Yeah. The worst example yeah. I've seen of it is a movie we've actually covered on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Jack, do you want to? Do you want to? Uh, oh my gosh! Guess. Stop this. Um, what could oh it my, be? Uh, oh, bat, like you don't hmm. like the? I no, the know. movie um, sucks. Okay, you don't like the movie. Was it during the Razzies? Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, okay, I'll make this fast. Uh, what had a dream sequence? Well, it's a dream sequence that um, does this huge fake out that. I was super excited for, and then when it turned out to be a dream, I got really fucking pissed. Um, was it was it Independence Resurgence? No, 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 no. It was Twilight, no. the last Twilight movie. It was Twilight. That's right. That's right. The yes. very okay, ending where yeah. they show how all of the characters get oh like God. get yeah. fucking eviscerated and die and. As I was watching him, like, holy fuck, this is taking some real chances. Uh, like, they've killed yeah, off, like, yeah. ten main characters. And there's no <laughs> filmmaking style that cho- that even kind of lets you on that it's a dream. It feels completely real. It is shot completely the same way. And it looks like... And it's this huge battle sequence. Huge. And characters are dying left and right. And it ends in a pretty climactic moment. And then it shows that it was just, like, a vision. Mm. I guess it, a dream is kind of, I guess it wasn't technically a dream, but it was like a vision from one of the uh, uh, oracles or whatever the fuck. I don't like that movie. Um, but it was just one of those things where, wow, that's one of the more, where I was in the middle of it, I was like, this is one of the most ballsiest things you can do in a blockbuster. Literally kill off as many characters as they can, as they have. Um, and they just fucking were like, nope, joking. It's like ha- trying to have their cake and eat it too. <laughs> And I got so yeah, fucking pissed. Yeah, I don't pissed. like that. Because um, yeah. for once, I wasn't... And apparently it's much different than the book. Well, like, fuck the book. I don't care. Um, okay, well, Stephanie Myers, <laughs> fucking hack. All right, whatever. She helped tourism in Washington. I guess I have to give her credit for that. Um, but no, I just was watching it. And I just hated it because it made me like the movie for a second when I was pretty dejected for the entirety of my viewing. But... The moment I actually get involved, it spits in my face. And that's the shit I'm kind of talking about. Just really, and it sounds very similar to your moment in Smile. Um, I just was really just felt betrayed and also robbed of something that was going to yeah. be pretty good. Um, but uh, yeah, I, it, that's when dream sequences lose me is that when they show you a risk that the story could take and they choose not to go that route. They want, again, it's having your cake and you too. Look at this creative decision we could make. Ah, just kidding. Um, So, but the difference with take shit. Right. Yeah, don't JK us, man. No, it's trolling. It's trolling. It's it's just. It really is, yeah. um, But with take shelter, again, it's all about interiority. It's all about how, it's like, what is the, Mm -hmm. what's the feeling of that dream? What is that doing to his psyche? Not, 
it has nothing to do with plot. There's no plot attached to it, um, which right. I think most dream. Yeah. I don't think any dream should have plot attached. Should, the dreams should not further along a story, in my opinion. They should act yeah. as they could be maybe instigate like a moment or a feeling or an emotion, but they should not be a plot device. I think it's almost always lazy because I think that also loses the special things about dreams. I think dream like the concept of dreams is fucking crazy. We like make up own shit in our head and we think it's real. Yeah, we, we make yeah. up our own movies what, at night what's, in our you get, head. If you guys think of <laughs> basically, you guys think they don't make it, sense. Movies are like they're kind of like dreams, right? Who's the stand-up yeah. comedian who has right. that? Oh, I play a movie think. in my head and I'm the star or some shit. Oh, that's that funny. Bit? Is it well, Pino I know Holmes? that that reminds hmm. me of uh, it reminds me of Pino Holmes's bit where he says dreams are like hot you on you action. Right. But <laughs> it's such a crazy concept, and like you mean, everyone has had a fucking bananas dream. And, like, some dreams we don't want to talk about because they reveal some real fucked up shit about ourselves. So, to have, so I think when in media they yeah. use dreams as just some simple cheat uh, as a, a screenwriting tactic. Like, oh, we got to put this in at some point. We have to, we have to give the character doubt. Uh, I guess we'll just have a dream where they're portrayed. Um, mm-hmm. it, it starts to lose meaning, I think. And especially the way you would film said dream. Because uh, even when we believe that we're in a dream, we still know there's something a little off. I mean, that's like fucking... That's, I'm not breaking new ground here. That's what everyone fucking says about a dream. That's what Inception says about dreams or whatever. It's like, there's always that feeling. But so but so to just... Yeah. And, and, you know, and some people have... And some people criticize Nolan for the way he shoots dreams and in inception that it feels very much attached to reality. I, I think certainly we did. I yeah. think, I, I, I think there's a, I think a lot of that is on purpose and some of that, but I do think there are differentiations um, that he does have that are a little more subtle than maybe people would like, but I, I don't quite buy that line of criticism, although I understand it, but I truly think, that if you ever have a dream in your in whatever media you're um, telling a story in, have it be a fucking dream. Just have it serve yeah. its own purpose, as in take you know like be visually unique. Be have a like a real give it give us a revealing moment about a character. Character give us some vulnerability, mm-hmm. not just some plot movement. Yeah, or at least here, like, no, like you're each dream like right. alters uh, Curtis's behavior or, or, uh, or mannerisms. Like, I, I, like, of course, it's it's easy to notice when every time he wakes up, um, it's a different reaction to the dream, like grabbing his arm or like wetting mm-hmm. the bed or, or like taking like a deep inhale and, and really like scaring himself. You know, it's just like those kinds of reactions. It's like okay, it's. Or when yeah. he flinches no, when exactly. his wife touches yeah, his hand. It's like super interesting yeah. when when that when like if the conflict here is all internal, then that's just like a pretty superb way to to show like, oh wait, Curtis is actually like going through something that even he doesn't understand from uh from uh, uh Kathy Baker's from the mom's character, um, from what happened to her and and it's like even though like he has that that experience to go from, it's like he doesn't even understand what's happening. And yeah, that's like really scary when it's like, um, 
you know, when you have like Sam who's who's playing that other part who I think is like you know, Chastain is fantastic in this. When she has all all to do is like, okay, wait, what's wrong with you? That's like her her main sort of um curiosity in the movie. It's like mm-hmm. I, I think she gets a lot yeah. more to she pulls a lot more from the character than than what may may have have been for another director. Oh yeah, I'm just I'm just so happy that didn't write her as like just so one dimensional yeah. nagging wife role. Like she radiates a lot of warmth and compassion. Maybe it's just like, oh, that's kind of how I think of Jessica Jastain. We think of her as the floating uh and angel in tree of life but at the same time like you know she does get frustrated but and and angry and rightfully so because her husband isn't communicating yeah. with him with her in in the ways that you should with a partner if you're experiencing these kind of symptoms uh it's it makes it, her, her reactions are are justified and never like over the top in in ways that just feel really again genuine and in a way, I, his obsession with building that storm shelter mirrors a little bit of what Richard Dreyfus does in Close Encounters. Oh shit! You know, I didn't I, think of that. I think of like him, yeah, him being like really hyper focused on this one Fuck. thing that, yeah, could help. You know, I mean, I don't, I, I don't know if Nichols ever like cited Spielberg as an influence. Right. I, yeah, that, no, that's true. Yeah, like, to some degree, their family like, apart. You know, it like but, makes the. It makes, I mean, the only difference is that Chastain comes back. Um, mm-hmm. And they work through yeah, that. that yeah. I didn't think, yeah, that's almost, yeah, absolutely. Holy shit. I didn't think of that. And it's so crucial that it's like the miscommunication is what drives them apart, not so much the the uh, the psychological mm-hmm. damage. I mean, like, of course, that plays a part, but it's more like, okay, you need to tell me when you're going to be late for dinner. It's like those sort of things that make it so grounded. Well, it's also when he starts threatening the well-being of their child as by as in like you know losing that health insurance that would pay for her like surgery i think that's when she i think that's when chastain's like no yeah it's also the money too yeah yeah that's what this is when yeah that's when when she slaps him when we when you're and loses the job when you're um up obstructing our child's um health uh and progression that's when you crossed a real fucking line um Chastain is one of those other act- uh, actors that for me is like if I see their agent it's on site um so because <laughs> it's just real it's just a there's like an, I tell you man there's like an entire podcast to be like devoted to that subject like you really can like I would love or like to a be great on that piece. podcast you know what I mean like there's so many names like bring that. me for the Jaimun Hansoon episode where I can talk about how in Quiet Place 2 made me realize that Hollywood has fucked over him so bad that it's yeah. almost, I don't know if he'll ever recover. And that Zack Snyder is <laughs> our like, only hope for yeah. him to get like his, like a fucking anything, to get a, like a shred of respect in film. Because he is like, yeah, I, I just, yeah, but there's so many, you know, of course people have talked about Amy Adams nonstop. Um, mm-hmm. Naomi Watts yes. is a big one. Oh, Watts. Yeah. oh that's so... And, of course, there's a theme. A lot of it is people of color or women. So maybe it's not... You know, it, it, Obviously, it's not just the agents. It's an industry-wide issue and blah, blah, blah. But it is... Sure, sure, sure. But, you know, but sometimes I'm just like, man, there's... You could have... There, there had to have been a way to prevent this decision. Like, there's, there had to have been a way where 
Amy Adams could have said no to hillbilly elegy. There had to have been an option. There had to have been a step of the way where she could have been like, no, I'm not going to be in this movie. Um, and with fucking Chastain, I am not going to be in Ava or the 355. I'm not going to work with Simon yeah. Kinberg. I'm not going to work with Tate Taylor. Oh, like yeah. there's... It just, it's a real, you know, especially, you know, as she, you know, she comes off of Malick and fucking, and, you know, Bigelow to an extent. And of course, um, Nichols in here, it's just like working with these heavy fucking hitters. And then it's like. Katie Bigelow. It's, yeah, yeah. Then it's like Sorkin and Tate Taylor <laughs> and fucking whoever directed t- uh, the tam- uh, the Tammy movie. Mm. I don't fucking know. But it's just. Michael Showalter. I think it's show yeah. Michael Showalter did. Yeah, that yeah. was a surprise me. But then a again, I think like Tammy Faye is different though. She yeah. like shepherded that. I mean, I think you're right though. She, like Michael Showalter well, is up. not like Malik she, and Jeff yeah. Nichols, but also it's like she did produce. Yeah, like, no, she was like the auteur of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, but, yeah which yeah, is yeah. why I also I think she, you know, of course that she holds blame to what has happened to her career. Uh, it's not all outside factors, but it's still just mm-hmm. a bummer because she is one of our great actresses. And now she's been kind yeah. of like now she's, I don't think she's like become a joke, but an afterthought. No one takes her seriously but, with the role she chooses. No, anymore. absolutely. Even though I she mean, won an we Oscar. Were recent, yeah. I was just going to say this. Cause it's like, no, that's the afterthought part. You forgot. She won an Oscar on Oscars podcast. You had to check with us. Oh, that's right. We we were recently on uh, Leia Carlson Downey's podcast talking about it most on an ear. Good movie. She's very good in it. And you're like, is she an Oscar winner? Yeah, and that is like, a good movie. Yes. Yeah. Because it's not that she's bad in the movie. I think she's not that bad. I don't think the movie's that bad. I think it's like kind of bad, but not that bad. But it's like the she so thoroughly doesn't exist. And it shows the disparity from the early half to the latter half of the 2010s. And it's like, where did this go? Because in the run of 2011, it's this in Tree of Life and, well, the hell. But, like, it, you can see, like, how great she is at elevating these two parts. Then in two years. The wife. Or then, uh, wait, no, like, Zero Dark Thirty is 2012? 2012, yeah. Yeah. Holy yeah. fuck. Yeah, yeah exactly. After, see? Yeah. yeah, and then she works with, like, you know, like, Mama. That That's, like, a really respected horror movie. Uh, is that Flanagan? goes on to make It. No, no, it's, it's um, Muschietti. Um, oh, shoot. Muschietti. It's Muschietti, yes, yes. Yep, 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 yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Flanagan did Oculus. I get those two confused. I haven't yes. seen them. Yes, yes. Same year, I think. Um, But yeah, and now she is... You know, Ava didn't even come out or whatever. And, like, yeah. that was directed by Tate Taylor. Uh, the 355 is truly, like, yeah. a satirical movie. In the sense of Ugh. it only exists in the idea of satire, not as an actual movie yeah. that people saw. Um. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah. I mean, she she's supposed to be pretty good in Armageddon Time, which is like interesting. She. Yeah. Oh, she's in that. She. She was playing Marianne Trump. Okay, world, I was like gonna say, yeah. like a cameo. Oh. Yeah. 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 Like, like, like yeah. it pops up almost like John Ford does in the Fablemans, where that's just what like, heard, like the comparison. then work with Gray again. Why is this so? I don't know. Sometimes I'm like, why is this so hard for people? Just to work. Just keep with the di- good directors. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I'm curious to see what she does when she reunites with Michael Shannon. Yeah. Again, it's, uh, I don't know. I mean, George and George Tammy, and I think that's yeah. what's, what's George up next Tammy? for her. Yeah. Uh, uh, Tammy Wynette and George Jones, two pretty legendary country singers, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. But, it's, you know, I like Wait, Jessica Chastain and Michael Tammies? Shannon together again. She's and like I think all 
Tammy Faye and Tammy Wynette. <laughs> yeah. And the and the outfits. She's got to be a trifecta of Tammy's. The hair and the outfits. Jessica. Yeah, you're right. I think yeah, John Hillcoat yeah, so is the, doing it's this. It's like a mini series. Oh, that she was that, uh, that she yes, was in that. Yeah, yeah. Right. she was, and she like faced like uh, like like a uh, inappropriate behavior with like Shia on set. Right, she was in the middle of one of the right. more like notable testosterone fights, or like you know, yeah, like yeah, yeah. with Tom Hardy. Right, yeah, yeah, exactly. Ooh, yeah, oh, that's gonna um, be a but rough no, set. I mean, oh, but Lord. all this to say, like, it's a six episode episode is... miniseries. It's not even a movie. The yeah, George yeah, and Tammy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Then she's going to be in something called Memory. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm curious. Memory <laughs> plot is being kept under mm-hmm. wrapped. It's directed by Mike uh, or Michael uh, Franco. I don't know who that is. Uh, Jessica Chastain, Elsie oh, yeah. Fisher, Peter Sarsgaard, Merritt Weaver. So this is like there are people mm. in this. Yeah. Yeah, that's usually how I go these days. Where I'm like, I, you know, I, if I like the actors, that it might be enough yeah. sometimes. You know, I mean, I wish I wish that wasn't the case. It's more of just like I want to love everything about a project, but at the same time, I look forward to seeing some of my favorite people on screen together. And if they're all in a movie together, I'm like, yeah, why not? But then, not more often than not, lately it's been yeah. kind of a bummer because there's just been you know some of these newer movies where. Um, trying to think well i mean what was the what's the uh well babylon's coming out i know people are like i I, i'm kind of rolling my eyes based on what i've seen of that but like yeah this these big ensemble movies aren't really doing it much for me oh amsterdam that's what i saw (laughs) i was like what's the big one that i just saw recently where there's everybody in the world's in it and i was like oh boy no 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 no. Lots unpacked there. Apparently, um, she's doing a movie yeah. with the yes, director for sure. of At Eternity's Gate. Um, yeah, Schnabel. Yeah. And hmm. well, Schnabel. Wait, what? Julian Schnabel. That's the director. Oh no no no. Right. Oh sorry. He's doing. He. Uh, this is the uh, cinematographer at, at Eternity's Gate. Oh. Uh, oh. Ben- Benoit <laughs> Del Home Del Home Home Home, whatever, with Anne Hathaway. Yeah, it's the director also, of photography. Also, <laughs> okay. he was the cinematographer for Lawless. Interesting. Bizarre. And well. she's doing The Division with Jake Gyllenhaal, directed by, you guessed it, Rawson Marshall Thurber, everyone's favorite director. Movie. Yeah. He's made such <laughs> movies as Red Notice, Skyscraper. Oh. She's going to be in that. Okay. Well, I mean, yeah, it, it goes to show like when she's great and with such a firm breakout year as 2011, then it's just like even more of a disappointment when she's in things like she has coming up. Yeah, it's interesting. She's also in a movie um, called The Good Nurse that's on Netflix. Yeah. Has anyone seen this? It's coming out this week. Yeah, it's coming no. out on Netflix. Yeah, I hear that's actually pretty good. It's her and Eddie Redmayne, two Oscar winners. I hear it's winners. okay. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I hear it's good. Maybe. I think it was at Toronto. There's a lot of good things, like a lot of the Good yeah. Wife, the Good Nurse, the Good Doctor, the Good Dinosaur, the Good Doctor. I don't know. There's like a, a lot of good the Good Doctor. Yeah. Yeah. Oh well. Yeah. And creatures. Oh, yeah, and creatures, yeah. of course. Um. N- yeah. No. I. I mean, in, in terms of take shelter, we've been talking a lot about it, it just being really grounded, and, and I, I think I liked 
some of the practicalities and just just the fact that you know he yeah he's running late for a parent teacher conference or he's going to the library obviously me working at a library maybe <laughs> that's a bias <laughs> but whenever people go to libraries I'm like yes you're doing the right thing you're to going me. to do some research crazy right like he actually yeah he's actually cares about like yeah mm -hmm. figuring things out as opposed to being passive and just like I'm just gonna ignore this. I, I'm a man. I'll figure this out myself. You know. I mean, he's. I don't know why I sound like Billy Bob Thornton and Sling Blade for a it second. It is funny because um, like it's the complete opposite I... of Shannon's approach to the role, which is like um, no research to any sign of uh, uh, um, <laughs> uh, schizophrenia or mental illness, which is like so fun. I mean, I think it's great. It's a great approach to take to it because that's sort of like going into Curtis's mindset. Um, and you know he's like and i love the way that jeff nichols talks about uh the dichotomy of of chastain and michael shannon he's like you know chastain will just be like hey where mm. do i stand i know my lines uh i i'll i'll, I'll uh, you know i'll decompress as my character and then like you know once when do we leave you know just like very straightforward and then like chastain like has all these notes like questions for jeff nichols like wants wants some background on on the character like how long have these two been together when do they have sex like talks about these these kinds of things that she wants to know like outside of the boundaries of the film and uh you know it's it's like so fun to hear that those two different but like shannon shannon's just yeah shannon's like a he comes from chicago um yeah play um theater theater right yeah yeah theater yeah yeah, it's called a, a red. Uh, the The name of their theater company is a Red Orchid, and uh, yeah, no, he's it's 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 funny. Like he still shows up in and around Chicago. Um, I had the pleasure of seeing him play music live um, right after the uh, lead singer of the Cars had passed oh, away, wow. Rick Ocasek. Uh, Michael Shannon did an entire forty five minute set of Cars covers at a very tiny club in Chicago. And it was sold out. I went there just because I was like, my, I love the cars. I love Michael Shannon. Maybe there's a chance. I get to the door and he's like, yeah, we're sold out, but you can come in. Hmm. He's like, whoa, this is meant to be. <laughs> like I got in, right? And I'm there watching, yeah, Michael Shannon rock out and, you know, one of my favorite actors right there. Uh, no, he, yeah, he's, he's, he loves the city still. You know, he still comes back and supports the theater scene out here. So yeah, he's just like, a, to me, he's just an, he's an offbeat, interesting guy, especially in interviews and stuff, or when he does the commentary, he's kind of unassuming at times, but also just kind of yeah. quirky and just, uh, uh, but not like in a goofy way. I, he's just, just unlike anybody I, I know in terms of, yeah, like somebody you'd consider a quote unquote celebrity actor. He's a, he's definitely fits the mold Absolutely. of the character yeah. actor, which right? makes like, it all the more, yeah. um, it brings a specific kind of presence when he works in this as a, the, as a leading mm -hmm. role. Um, and obviously like Nichols tops into something so profound about him in all five of their collaborations about to be six with bike riders uh, coming up next year. Um, and with, oh my. with this yeah. one, it's like his best performance ever in my eyes. Uh, I mean, granted, like, he hasn't led much. It's more Ben supporting. And this one being, like, a firm breakout right. similar to... Or, like, another... Or honestly, like, a second uh, breakout after the Revolutionary Road um, nomination. And, yeah, he's just, like, magnificent in this as playing just, like, 
he's a he's like an ordinary person um and he's an he has an ordinary kind of relatability but um just just like an extraordinary just like a an extraordinary kind of feel for for the character here anytime i see michael shen i think he's eating pistachios that's all i got that's all mm. i'm saying anytime i <laughs> see his face i'm like you're eating some pistachios or some cashews right now but he's not yeah. he's usually just not eating anything but i always anytime i see him that's what i think that's what Brad i think Pitt his face looks Ocean's like movies. and he always he's looks always like he's eating, eating even though i don't think i've really ever <laughs> seen him eat he just like has yeah. that way he like moves his jaw sometimes and i'm just like you have like something in your cheek like some food in your cheek or yeah. something tobacco <laughs> yeah it's interesting because like they bring out the in a few interviews i saw like um nichols and justine brought out the idea of shannon being so funny and and having like a very dry sense of humor that they're like why don't you do more comedies and then you know a few years later knives out i think that's like the perfect well you're forgetting for one. like you know you're forgetting his yeah. christmas movie that everyone loved that i have not seen Oh my gosh! Yeah, I watched that one Christmas with my uh, mom and my aunt, and I was yeah, like, "Yeah, everyone says watch like he's good every, in a Christmas movie." It's the Anthony Mackie, Seth Rogen. Yeah, yeah. the night before. Yeah, who's the third guy? Uh, jo- is it jo- Joseph Gordon-Levitt? Uh, of course, everyone Joe, loves. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh no, I'm thinking of something like he actually did a cheesy Christmas movie that's oh. for families. Um, oh, it's oh, called wait, Pottersville. Wait, as in, it's you. Know, yeah, I think it was on like, Netflix. It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah, because that's what it's. <laughs> I don't think it's about. I don't think it's about because no Pottersville is Pottersville? that's the town. They're I think gonna, that's the they're gonna change the town. To, oh, and it's a wonderful one. Yeah, um. I mean it's a terrible movie. It's a terrible, terrible movie. But it was just interesting to see him. It is borderline right. Hallmark movie. You know, I mean, it, it's straight to Netflix. I think mm-hmm. maybe, but it was cheesy and bad but i was like michael shannon's in this so i'm, I'm looking at it. this <laughs> like yeah, michael shannon yeah, judy is, judy greer this looks like so fake <laughs> oh my gosh right it does look like Ian something McShane. somebody yeah, yeah photoshopped or whatever yeah ron oh, perlman love me some oh, ron perlman is, love me some ron perlman this looks yeah this is grim but anyhow um michael shannon is fantastic i mean you know it's kind of like arbitrary now it's like you're like oh yeah he's he kind of feels like someone that used to be underrated and then he was in so many big projects um or it's just like okay n- now everybody you know he's like become more and more famous isn't there the um, story of him watching the oscars at a bar i can't i, I can't remember it and like something that, like that that he's totally watching, like, fits like yeah, in he, uh, the oscars he's nominated <laughs> at or something oh that's fine i don't remember the story exactly you can put the pieces together if anyone knows what i'm talking about <laughs> Um, we will only lead you there, but you then have I, I, to... can, I can give you all the building. I can give you all the Legos, but you're going to have to build the construction. That's all I can say. Right. right. That's funny. Um, no, I think is that like in terms of theater working, like he really broke out in Chicago with um, yeah. Killer Joe by Tracy Letts. I mean, that, that I think that ran for a while. I think he was just critically acclaimed all across the board with that role. I think he, I'm pretty sure he played the main role, the Matthew McConaughey uh, role that uh, yes. William Friedkin yeah. made that was the not too long ago. Yeah, Freakin. yeah. And then, of course, mm-hmm. Bug. And then, of course, they'll yeah. work with Friedkin but and Bug. No, I mean, he's so just... Connection makes, yeah, it makes sense. Gosh, yeah, it's yeah. all connected. <laughs> uh, what was that play 
that he got a lot of recognition and it was, it was like the mistakes were, oh mistakes we were made yeah i, oh, I yeah. ebert cites mistakes this in his, inter- right. in his review for take shelter and i was like oh i've never heard this before um i think that just goes to show like the recognition and um praise shin had and then making that very smooth transition into a film career of course like a film career that was definitely more character actory uh in the 2000s but then going into the 2010s it was just like i i think that like that revolutionary road nomination like really catapulted him into um then quickly getting him sawed and then like you know it's just it all it all like got him into like a much bigger spotlight in there yeah no he's definitely someone that well one of the reasons why i watched amsterdam was like <laughs> oh michael shannon shows up for a bit <laughs> that's insane you know uh yeah it's it's sad but i don't know gosh i love it yeah yeah. it it happens like you know they you make decisions and you know it's it i understand why especially when you have a cast like that on board but you know even going back to something like if you if you go back and watch before the devil knows you're dead he makes an impression you know just like really quickly but he's there and he keeps yeah he keeps calling ethan hawk chico right oh he sure does yeah (laughs) um uh, yeah, that's I'm great. looking through some more reviews once more. He's never been in a Paul Schrader, and I feel like that would be a perfect fit. Yeah, that would like Ooh, you can yeah. totally see it. Yeah, that would be. Perfect. But of course, like worked with Herzog a few times again. Like that's another perfect fit. Um, and yeah, you know, mm-hmm. multiple uh, Jeff Ken- Jeff Nichols collaborations, and he feels like one of those actors where it's like this director is uplifting a person that they've known their entire life and they're like look at this look at this actor i want the entire world to know about them it's like you know there's like i'm sure many examples like that but no it's like um nichols wrote uh uh shotgun stories and then um had a professor at uh the film school that he or the college that he went to and was like i have mike shannon's number (laughs) or um or I have his contact, or I have his people's contact, and then uh, Jeff Nichols calls Mike Shannon. And he's like, "Do you, I wrote this movie with you in mind?" And then that sort of like got the ball rolling there. And it's like that's so interesting. That's like that's the connection made, and like that seems like such a perfect match. But yet they only met each other like you know when they're when Nichols's first movie was being made. That's gonna be me, but when I write my movie, uh, thinking about Shea Wiggum. That's going to be like, I'm going to, I'm going to write a movie oh. you know, just for and only for Shea Wiggum. And then I'm going to get his people and then we're going to make a movie together. You got to put on the wig. Got to get. You know, Jeff Nichols, Jeff Nichols reminds me a little bit of early David yes. Gordon Green films. And uh, All the Real Girls is one of my favorites. Yeah. I mean, good Lord. And Shea Wiggum in that. That was the first time I saw Shea Wiggum. I Always a good sure. time to see Shea Wiggum. Always and a good time. just like, who yeah. is that? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Danny McBride. Like, those were the... Yeah, I remember, like, those two standing out. I mean, uh, people were sort of questioning, like, is Paul Schneider good in All the Real Girls? I'm like, yes. He's good. Yeah, I feel like... I think he's very good in it. People were... People, people felt like, I don't know, like, his character was... I don't know... And, and his performance was a little weird. But, I mean, the writing is often kind of weird. They say weird things to each other throughout the movie, and I kind of love it. I thought that, too. It's but just, then, that's like, I'll my like, okay, wait. Story. But then I see Bright Star, and I'm like, okay, that's... Yeah, jeez. Oh, yeah. God, yeah. yeah. He's phenomenal in that. Yeah. But, no, I mean, like, I, I, I'm i pretty sure they mm-hmm. went to the same school. Maybe they that's maybe they were sounds, friends. Yeah, David Gordon yeah, yeah. They, yeah I think that... Oh, oh, that totally sounds right. Yeah. 
Gordon Green. Yeah. Yes. And they use the same David composer, Wingo, yep. David Wingo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That sounds exactly yeah. right. Um, yeah. Oh my gosh. Early David Gordon Green. Where Where did you go? That's crazy. I don't right? Know. You don't need to be doing horror. And I'm so mad he's doing an exorcist know, movie next. Crazy. Talk, talk about someone where it's like you need yeah. a no person. <laughs> but um, yeah, so yeah. the movie was like Sundance and then uh, Sony Classics picked it up without even seeing the movie but just read the movie and knowing that uh mike shannon needed his time they needed like a proper distributor and they liked shotgun stories and it's like that's kind of cool that like people had faith in the movie even with with like you know it it didn't need like much of a pitch it was just like nichols is like such a strong unique voice um and, and such like an like kind of like an old soul of a storyteller because he's like fairly young at at the i mean all i can say is during take shelter favorite's not even the right word but it's it's the most meaningful movie that i've made personally out of the movies that i i have on my resume um it was a movie that made a lot of sense to me and um and that uh, had a very profound personal resonance for me why do you think that well, because I think it's a very poetic expression of, of a, a question that I've been struggling with for almost my whole life, which is, you know, how can you live in the world in which we live and not lose your mind? Like, how how is that possible? And people say, oh, every generation feels like, I'm like, no, it's going to shit. We're fucked. So how do you, how do you, how are you able to maintain what is good about your life and still enjoy your life and have love in your life knowing that it can be taken away from you like that. And there is a, there's always a storm coming. And from every different person's point of view, you know. I have my version of what I think the storm is. You have your version of what you think it is. But everybody has a storm that's coming. Everybody has some something on the horizon that just doesn't seem like good news, you know. Or, or not even on the horizon. If you, if you don't have a job, if you can't pay your bills, then the storm's right in your face. You know? Right. So the storm is a symbol for me of circumstances that threaten to bring you down. Yeah, I just gotten out of college and gotten married and certainly was contemplating yeah. uh, being a father. Or he might have started yeah. being a father around that time. Uh, I think that fueled more... Uh, some of his, you know, again, fears of what his child is going to ultimately turn out to with or without his influence with Midnight mm. Special. Oh, I think that's kind of thematically what he was looking at with that film. And uh, certainly th- this one for me, I think I've always, I've always had a lot of dreams about thunderstorms for one reason or another. And anytime I brought that up to a therapist or something, they're like, Oh, it just means anxiety. Yeah. Storms represent anxiety in your dreams. I'm like, well, that's, I right. guess that makes sense. That's kind of obvious, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? Um, but like a lack of control really mm-hmm. like, and you know, not being able to, yeah, manage your emotions in a way that can make you function like the way you want to in life is a scary, it's yeah. a scary notion. And I, I, I certainly am aware of, oh yeah, this runs in the family. And so, so when he goes to visit his mom, it makes sense. Like he wants to have that conversation and maybe learn from her, but yeah, she's, 
she's in a whole other world. She's, you know, sort of built into this bubble of like, uh, yeah, safety and just kind of hiding away almost and probably isn't on a lot of different medications and can't engage as much with the real world too. So he doesn't want to ultimately turn out that way. And I like that the film doesn't say either yeah. way if he will. It's it's kind of up in the air. And we'll certainly talk about the ending because a lot of people have different responses to it. Both Certainly. And, and then when Curtis so. goes to visit his mom, it's like so sad that, uh, you know, um, mm, he doesn't yeah. have any conclusions to, he probably has like more questions than answers that he came into the hospital with. Um, and yeah, it's like the fact that storms do represent anxiety um that that is like a logical conclusion if not a scientific one but then it's also going back to the idea that you're seeing something that other people aren't and then you just see like curtis like seeing birds fly in a formation in the air and uh like rain rain uh clouds starting to form and uh and and he's checking in with um stewart right that sounds right with shay wiggins character and then He's like, are you seeing this? And then, like, with no one paying any attention to the sky, that's what really freaks me out. Or it's like, if you're seeing something that other people aren't, for any sort of reason, anxiety-related or not, it's like, that's, that's like, what really uh, have, that's what, for me, Nichols drives in the dread with, um, that it's, it's like visions without explanation that's, like, crazy. I think going back to, like, my um, uh, uh, compute, my media production's teacher in high school was like recommending the the movie based on a twilight zone comparison i think that's what really drove it home where it's like a basic broad concept it's the william shatner you can like kind of idea it's the william shatner um dude on an airplane kind of like that anxiety. oh Oh, yeah yeah yeah, that of like you get it's funny you just think i was just randomly mentioning you know william shatner he has something (laughs) to do with this billy shat that's that's like um yeah yeah captain kirk yeah he experiences the exact same thing (laughs) he's yeah he's he sees birds flying around uh um but no that idea of just like you know the supernatural representing your anxieties of the reality um and i think in a lot of and i'm not saying this is genre storytelling but i think in a lot of genre storytelling they like to combine the two um the idea of like yes they're Mm -hmm. they might be crazy or are they you know it it (laughs) kind of leaves room for to just like i don't know maybe who knows well, that's why people aren't a fan of the ending because, <laughs> they, you know, I mean, uh, it's like I have my own feelings about the ending, and certainly, I don't, I don't necessarily like negate anybody's response. You know, if they have a negative response to it, that's I, I'm not going to mm-hmm. be like you're wrong. You know, I mean. I think that's actually Jeff Nichols' intention is to really leave it up to you to talk about and dissect and decide on your own. Like he's not I think even in the commentary track for that ending, he's like, We're not gonna talk we're not gonna talk about what we think and what we feel about what this means because then automatically it makes it something concrete and then people will take what they have yeah. in scripture and I, I I really do like that. That's yeah. more like the David Lynch approach to filmmaking of yeah, just you th- mm. you th- you think about it. What yeah. do you I think left about it? it? In, you know, I, filmmakers same... are are smart. They're they're intelligent 
writers and creatives for a reason. It's like they left it ambiguous on purpose. You know, that's always like what I come back to. And uh, Nichols, I saw in an interview, like a two and a half minute, two minute interview was like, maybe not creepily, but he was like, okay, I'll give you one of my interpretations that it's about marriage. You know, it's about like coming to compromise. Sure. And um, it's accepting your other person's baggage. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Okay. Like exactly. Yeah. That's that's a good read. Gonna see the clouds and like uh, also um, Hannah is is like touching the rain and in the oil esque raindrops are tangible. It's like yeah, checks out. I like that read. Good ending. (laughs) I do too. Yeah. Um, And obviously, I was prepared to talk about it, but I'm not giving you a canned answer. I'm giving you an answer that I actually think. Um, for me personally, all those answers are, are awesome and it's amazing that people are talking about it and I was able to actually create an ending that um, I hope is both satisfying and at the same time left open to conjecture. Yeah. And for me, the, the moment that matters, mm-hmm. dream, not dream, real, not real, whatever it is, um, the moment that matters is uh, these two characters looking at each other and connecting. Yeah. The fact that they're both seeing it. That's what matters. Because yeah. um, if this is a film that is a meditation on marriage and commitment and communication, then what the ending has to be is that these people um, are on the same page again. They've had this wedge put in between them uh, from all these various factors. And now at the end, they're looking at each other, yeah. and they're seeing each other, and they're together. And um, the circumstances that surround that, mm-hmm. um, please, open to interpretation. Yeah. I do too, but some people do see it as an M Night Shyamalan like. No, oh, it's, it's a not twist. that The storm is it's actually real, sure. and it's really it's happening. Not that literal. Um, my, That's how I feel. My, it does have the. Yeah, it just does. Um, it does have the energy of like something that would stir up everybody when it came out. Right. So like, I Discor- it, discourse know. would have been had. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh God! Yeah, oh, film God. Twitter. I my whole take. I can already see like a Screen Rant article, like oh, five crazy theories on the Take Shelter end. I hope we never have a Screen Rant person on here because I know. we've I was, dumped. On, I just thought they that. deserve it. They deserve yeah. it. But I'm just saying we've dunked on yeah. them so hard on this podcast. I know. Um, my <laughs> take on the ending is it's economic anxiety. Um, mm. it's the idea of that. I'm writing that down. <laughs> it's the idea of that. So they they make allusions that when he's getting that loan, like oh they weren't they're not giving, they're not giving loans like they used to. The banks are really finicky now. Uh, referencing of course the 2008 financial crisis, um, and his brother, uh, the guy who was in Mud. I always forget his name. Um, the dad in Mud. Who? What's his? What's his name? Yes, that's it. That is, is it. Ray, Ray McKinnon? McKinnon? Yes. Is that the um, he yes. mentions? You know, like yeah. the you know you, you you can't the economy just like is completely unpredictable. It can you can't you can't play around within this yeah. economy. It's so tricky. It can upend everything you have in a moment's notice. His whole idea of prediction and the idea that none of you are ready. Yes, this sounds fucking crazy, but none of you are ready, and it's coming. And I hope you're prepared because if you're not, we're all fucked and you're fucked. And so the idea of that, what he's saying sounds fucking crazy. It lacks all logic. It makes no sense. Like motor oil, people turning into zombies. 
Um, but of course, in an economic crisis, you know, there's a lot of people attacking him. Um, everyone turns on each other a lot of the time. It's you know, kill or be killed, and in that kind of mentality, not of course literally, um, hmm. but it becomes a more individualistic idea of when the going gets tough, community. Uh, you know, and people have different opinions on this, but in America, it feels like community kind of goes out the window. I mean, look at what happened during COVID. It became a, I'm going to do me, you do you kind of mentality. Um, and the idea of that, it actually happening is what makes me, what made me think of that. Because the world is crazy. Even the stuff you can predict is going to sound fucking nuts. But you can't, you know, you, you can't trust, no, nothing makes sense in this world. And just like the realist, like, because if, you know, if you talk to people or economic experts, you go back and you look at like the actual things that happened with the 2008 financial crisis. I mean, there's in a documentary we've covered here that looks into that, um, that we had, we, we covered that uh, with Roxanne Haddadi, The Inside Job. Um, that movie, even though the documentary I, I think is fine, it's mid, but it's w- when you're watching it, you're like, this is fucking crazy. None of this makes sense. And if anyone told, if anyone right. tried to like, yeah. can it ran up to you two or three years prior, is like, you're not going to believe this. The housing, the housing crisis is going to, is or the housing bubble is going to pop because people are betting on other bets that other people have made about debts that are might be paid because they are being undersold, and it's like you know, it's just like this crazy elaborate game of dominoes that lacks all logic and reasoning, uh, because it all is it's either predatory or fucking stupid. As in, of course, that's going to fail. It's, you know, it's a house of cards. Um, and so the idea, because, I mean, I think there were people who would predict, who predicted that the housing bubble would pop and everyone called them crazy. Everyone said, you're fucking nuts. That's never going to happen. We, you know, you, you're an alarmist. You're, you know, a doomsday prepper. You're the person who's flipping tables at the cafeteria who's warning that none of you are prepared. And so that idea of the yeah. it coming true is to me what like is like the I, I know this is very long and elaborate and I know it doesn't full because I think it has to do a lot with more mental health aspects but that was my real that was my instant take on it was that of how we're all we live in a crazy world and we're all fucking crazy um yeah I would agree with that for the most part I mean economic anxiety can certainly contribute to mental illness you know like we it, if if you're not financially stable or if you have mountains of debt or you're not able to, you're, you're living paycheck to paycheck then i do feel that contributes to a chemical imbalance you know it, it's not it's it's right. a, it's, a, it's a lot of different things that cause you to become a little unstable but i'm i don't doubt that's a contributing factor you know certainly when you look at certain um neighborhoods and and see what they're going through economically and it, it you, it's not it's not hard to find correlations right like I, I i can imagine a lot of them are suffering from depression in the same way that's yeah they called <laughs> that you know the great depression for a reason they called it that for a reason you know and not just because um of an economic recession or what they went life through. was it's miserable a, a deep dark yeah exactly every everybody was disconnected and losing themselves in that moment and 
you know, for me, like the the ending is I like all these different interpretations and certainly looking at it now, it's like, oh, yeah, it, it, that storm could represent COVID. Oh, yeah, the storm could represent Trump or, yeah, the, the it could represent um, any number. Of th- it could rec- <laughs> represent what we're all experiencing with student mm. loan debt, for God's sake. Uh, you know, I mean, that is terrifying, the amount of debt that a lot of people are carrying around with them and wanting a way out and wanting an answer and wanting more than just Hmm. what we're getting. And, (laughs) you know, it's something, it's like, I always try to look at the positive side of things and go, well, it's something, you know, I mean, I don't know if it's going to wipe out things and make everybody's lives better, but it's something, I guess, you know? Um, But no, I mean, I, I, the thing for me that not necessarily people agree with Hmm. entirely is that I always interpreted the ending as a dream. Um, because at one point in the movie, um, Sam takes all the money from the envelope labeled Beach. And she, my my belief is that she's using that money that's what to pay the bills after Curtis too. loses his job. And she, yeah, when they're outside, yeah, like, you know, embracing one another and trying to figure a way out of their you know hardship that's that's exactly what she says and so i don't think they actually go to myrtle beach at the end even though that's what the doctor says they should do yeah i don't see how you know, they i really have yeah all, no like, i i, I not think, everybody I was agrees. thinking about the same too i'm like well didn't yeah. you just get rid of or didn't you just say you had to get rid of all the money that yeah mm-hmm. So where do they get that money suddenly to take this trip? And the movie begins with a dream. So I just thought of the ending as bringing it all full circle. But this time the family is there by his side. Whereas like the dream that opens the film, he's experiencing all this by himself, all alone. And it's scary. But now the family is recognizing it together. So there's a feeling of solidarity. And of course she nods at, you know, they nod together and she says, okay, I'm here. I'm going to and stand by your in side this le- through this, all of this, this like idealistic location uh, in in Myrtle Beach. Like they're not at home, and this is experienced together. Yeah, right, right. And I, I but again, that's not something I, I wouldn't argue if somebody else said no. That's definitely right. reality. That's they went and went on a trip like they mm-hmm. said they would. You know, so I'm not saying that's the end all be all yeah. interpretation either. Yeah, for sure. And of course, there's like this huge cycle of like the economic anxiety feeding into um, this helplessness in, in the way that Mm -hmm. uh, the world around Curtis is folding onto itself when he's let go of the, of his job uh, being uh, at taking the, the the equipment. And, you know, it's like, yeah, it's like, and even the manager is like, my back is is against the wall because he like, you could have had an injury when you were filling around in your backyard. And, you know, it's like that, that moment is like so devastating. And cause like, you know, that Curtis is only doing this to, um, to comfort himself and protect his family. Um, but yet like they are struggling for money and, and you realize like, yeah, there's like no hope for like the, this small family. And, and really it's like the entire portrait of the movie is like so contained where you feel like it's kind of closing in on itself uh, with everything happening, but it's like it's not really like building to anything. It's just more sort of like a mood piece. At least that's like the way that I read it the first time. Yeah, I, I 
I would, I don't know. I, if it builds to the actual storm ready to take them down or something, I don't know how I <laughs> right, feel about right, that. Right, right, right. I guess, like, like, yeah, it's... I guess, no, you're, that is true. Like, you could be reading into it being like, okay, is this, like, actually building to a storm that they have to bunker into their, um, their shelter to avoid? But then it's just like, that's just more Curtis's idea and then when it does happen it's interesting that the camera does linger uh with the family in the shelter it doesn't like reveal like oh there was nothing to be afraid of and there was no storm like like i don't know because it doesn't matter that there was no storm because it didn't matter because i mean Mm -hmm. because he knew that he absolutely knew there was no storm um it's I mean, it's the symbolic gesture, but even that gesture can only go so far. And whether that's there, whether the um, psych, psychi- uh, the psychiatrist meeting was a dream or not, it does pretty kind of plainly state that this isn't enough. You know, like you've gone through some serious psych- yeah. you know, psychological trauma. This is going to have to be continued to work upon. Um it's just not that easy to just say, ah, he's fine now. Opening that door opens everything. Um, because it is anticlimactic when he crowds all of it. He just sees people running around acting like nothing happened. And it just, and at first it feels like this triumphant moment. And then it's just like, oh, yeah, everything is just the same. Nothing really, like, happened. Because um, it only. Yeah, I wonder how people would people would feel about the movie if it ended with them with the family embracing outside mm. the shelter. I always thought of that cuz like, I mean, certainly when he opens the doors and it's that big white bright light and it's just him, you know. I always love that as a as a possible final moment, but then we get this the shot of them all hugging together outside the shelter and it's it's a really beautiful shot and I always thought you could end it there too, but I don't mind it would have felt, adding that beach scene. I would have because I don't know. It would have felt cheap, honestly, if it ended there because yeah, because it would have it would have felt incomplete too. Because like, okay, is this just all building? I think towards so. Like Curtis, like actually needing some some sort of situation to happen to prove that he can't. He has the ability to protect uh, uh, Samantha and Hannah. I, it's just like, then, but he doesn't. I, I don't. Yeah. He doesn't, he doesn't yeah, because exactly. no one yeah. does. No one can protect everybody, mm-hmm. and that's yeah. it, it, and no one right. can protect. No one could have been protected during the 2008 financial crisis or whatever. Just, you know, just keep building on my. No, thesis. not everybody could have been protected during COVID. It, I guess. It's like that's. Yeah, it's oh no, it's, life yeah. it comes at you fast and hard. It's a storm. It's a fucking hurricane. It will not stop. Um. I get it. I get it now. It's like a storm. It is like a storm. Mm. Um, Oh, yeah. Some people can think of that as heavy-handed, but I don't. No, no, yeah. (laughs) And I saw that in some reviews. Like, okay, I I think, like, it's a little bit more abstract than it's actually, like, life is a storm. Like, I don't... Like, that's so boring. (laughs) But... Life is like a storm. (laughs) You just never know when it's going to strike. That's funny. I... It's... Oh boy, <laughs> I, I don't know. I was I was taken really aback by the film. Um, I was it yeah. stressed me out. Uh, I was like, "Fuck!" You had you had seen it before? No, this is sure. my first time. No. Um, oh wow. I 
it's funny funny enough it connects and there's a second connection that we have to this episode to our drive episode um with uh mariah gates is that mm. in that episode i think you can i think i mentioned that there was in one of my film classes we did an analysis of that scene in the diner where the camera's full only focused on the driver and the person talking to him is off view and we did like an analysis of what that means what it, well, you know what it, why is that camera hmm. why is the camera placed there what does that show about the character what does that show about the scene blah 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 <laughs> why does it look like the lights are cl- the windows are closed right. in that scene <laughs> yeah we did a similar episode <laughs> we or we did a similar analysis in i think it was my film class I, I i remember it was with my um film teacher patrick walters but i also took an english class with him and he likes to do some film stuff in his english classes um shout out patrick uh we did an analysis of the scene of his dream where there's someone at the door or someone at the outside the window and all the furniture goes up and then down again. And he analyzed how in those wide shots of him in that room, he is never in the center of frame. He's always a little askew in that and how it uses space in those shots. And then when it gets to his close up and how it's zooming in on him at, you know, becoming more and more anxious and the use of, you know, and I think we talked about maybe the use of sound. I forget, um, but that's that was my, that was my only um, exposure to the film. Uh, I obviously knew it existed. I get its existence ex- confused with uh, a shot. Uh, was it shotgun? What's shotgun stories? Shotgun stories. I get those stories? two confused in my head. That's yeah. Um, that's Nicholas's first right, movie. and it's yeah. with Michael Shannon. I've yeah I, yeah I forget which one was first and which one was second um yeah have not seen that either I've only seen Midnight um special um this and Mud and it's been at least seven years since I've seen Midnight Special um mm-hmm. but yeah loving is great too. taking shelters or yeah take shelters incredible I mean I I it's it's that I, I I think it it I think the nuance of Shannon Shannon's character is that I was a little worried at the beginning he was going to be the tip, the typical toxic male to be like I gotta shove all my feelings mm. down in there and not talk about it because you know in case he's like this conservative old fashioned guy um, and I mean obviously those people exist but I don't think those stories are very interesting I think they're really fucking boring because those are you know very <laughs> binary people who. I don't care about. Right, right. And we've oh, seen man, I can handle this. You know. Um, I liked how yeah. there's a combination of that. There's a combination of him not telling his wife that he wet the bed because it infringes on his masculinity. Right. But he's also someone who, like, is willing to have an emotional conversation with his wife and also talk to a counselor. Um, and how a lot of his... But a lot of his reservations of sharing his feelings weren't necessarily tied to his masculinity but were also tied to his trauma what he experienced um with his mother and how that has defined so much of him um i i I, yeah i was just kind of blown away by the real nuances of this um jim to ask you a question what when i when i when people bring these movies that I'm not sure would be on the top of a ton of people's lists. 
Like I understand Drive for people. I understand uh, Fury Road yeah. or Moonlight or these movies where it's just like a lot of people have them. And I'm not saying this movie isn't acclaimed, but uh, when it's like something like this or oh I don't know what's another movie that I was kind of like oh chose this one. Um, I can't think of it. Uh, we've done so many episodes. We may have different answers. Yeah. Um, what <laughs> I like to ask, though, is when it's something a little unique or something a little off-kilter than I would, what I would expect, what keeps bringing you back to this? What's, what's, the, what's, the, what's the detail, what's the part of the film that keeps bringing you back? And not necessarily in rewatches, but in just your mind and your connection to it. Is it the mental health aspect? Is it just the filmmaking in general? Is it the acting? Or I mean, of, of course, it could be all of the above. But what's that like? What's that trait in the film that is just keeps keep keeps the movie with you in your head at least? I think it's very similar. You know, we could sort of bring it full circle. It, it's it's similar to what I talked about with pump up the volume and being able to relate to a character. Um, and it's not to say like, oh, I'm 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 not a father, I'm I'm not a husband, and I I, I wouldn't consider myself uh, a blue collar right. worker the way he is. I just I just understand the anxiety he's experiencing, um, and sometimes there is no trigger. Sometimes it just happens randomly, unexpectedly, and you know, like I could be driving, and then suddenly, oh, I I feel my heart racing a little bit more. And I couldn't tell you why. And it's just like a general feeling about something. It's not concrete of, yes, I think there's a storm or there's something apocalyptic. It's it's just I get this guy, um, you know, and I, I get wanting to, you know, uh, internalize it to some degree. But also, yeah, do research on why it could be happening. Uh, it, it is just a matter of getting what this character is doing throughout this movie it, 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 with the exception of his big scene you know and certainly that's the oscar scene but i i don't think i've ever lashed out in public like that to that kind of degree but i understand why i just i understand why he's doing what he's doing in specific moments and even if i wouldn't do those things or you know, certainly find them, you know, in that moment, his reaction to be inappropriate in, in that moment. I still understand it. It's, a, it's again, I bring this word w up way too much in my podcast, but the empathy factor is what kind of brings me up. It brings me back to this movie time and time again. I'd, I'd say I just, it feels real to me. It feels like his emotions and everything going on and the certain choices that are being made throughout by Nichols or Shannon or Chastain. They, you know, like when they sit down in the kitchen table late at night to talk together, that feels like a real couple, a real married couple trying to figure each other out or try to come to terms with what's going on, you know? Um, and certainly like, you know, it, it's hard to pick a favorite scene cause there's so many for me, but I, you know, the, the, the big, you know, showy showcase scene that is often cited as the Oscar clip moment. I, I really do feel that strong. But for me, the scene with the whole family in the storm shelter down there 
uh, and they've been hiding out for quite some time, and it's right around the time that Curtis says it's still storming out there. And, you know, his wife tells him, no, it's not. And when he starts apologizing to her, I think he does it like three or four right. times. I'm kind yeah. of a wreck in that He says moment. I'm sorry a lot. Really? Film, and, which is know, like, I, yeah, it like really goes to show. That's... That. And to talk... Yeah. Hmm. That's my and favorite scene. You need to open the door now. What if it's... What if it's not all? What? What if it's not over? It's over. Get the keys. Open the door. It's still storming. No, it's not. I can hear it. I don't hear anything. Put your hand on the door. You can feel it.
I'm sorry. Maybe there's no storm outside. I'm sorry. Curtis, I wouldn't lie to you. I love you very much. Please. Open the door. I'm sorry. This is what it means to stay with us. This is something you have to do. to talk to for sure or to speak on jim you were saying about how you see yourself reflected into that i think those apologies are what brings me back to myself because i i think i say sorry more than any other word in the english language um I say sorry all the time when even when it's either not my fault or I or it's not that big of a deal or it's no one no one's even mad at me or everyone understands or it's something out of my control uh but I just so anytime he just says I'm sorry is real I don't know, it, it, it hits me in a way because it just it, it brings me back to myself and how 
even in my darkest moments, I can't help but just to say I'm sorry. Um, because it feels all out of my control and it feels so... Yeah. It all feels so much that it's like I have no other way of reacting than just apologizing for... And sometimes it feels like you know, you're apologizing just for your existence. Like, I'm sorry I'm even here. I'm sorry you have to deal with this. That kind of thing. Mm, yeah, right, right, right. It's more just like, I'm sorry you have to, like, It's it goes beyond just, just like, apologizing. Like, uh, he's he's he feels bad that uh, Sam has to see him like this. And he's, like, he's sorry that he's, like, causing all this distress around the household. It's, like, he doesn't really know how to, like, act as, like, a dad and a husband anymore. It's, like... Yeah, there's like a, like a, a lot of layers to just apologizing in the film, uh, and as like a writer director, Nichols just like returns these like very genuine human interests um, that just coalesce really well with the things that he keeps on returning to, and the the stories and his interests as a writer director just like combine very well, even when he approaches into like genre territory like Midnight Special, um, his most divisive. I mean, I think it's his most divisive, right? Um, but even then, like, that's a film where it's, like, he, it, he reaches for something, like, I mean, we mentioned Spielberg before, but it's, like, that's, like, cited as his most uh, Spielbergian. And, uh, yeah, here, it's, like, yeah, it's really interesting. Um, the the fact where it's, like, using using a disbelief in yourself as, as like, trying to improve imply yourself, I think. Um, or trying to investigate why why you're trying to do better. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a great way to put it. I really do feel uh, mm. overwhelmed <laughs> to some degree talking about this movie. Like, it, it, you know, I mean, it's, 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 it's hard to sometimes summarize, summarize your feelings, even when they're so strong. Yeah. Uh, and certainly, like, yeah, we got to give props to oh, David yeah, Wingo's score. Like, I mean, it's, it really does. It almost, from, especially the opening piece. It, yeah, it almost reminded me of scenes. like, yeah. Oh, I don't know if this is stupid to say, but like Pratel esque. Like, I, mm. I, I don't know. I, I guess I think I also, <laughs> I also listened to some uh, Nicholas Pratel score like right before this, just randomly. So maybe that's why it was in my head. But which one? Um, I have like a mix of just his tracks from all of his stuff. Nice. So, yeah. Um, but I've been jamming out to Succession recently mm, too. Yeah. Yeah. He's doing the score for Andor, if if anyone cares. Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Turn off the <laughs> great television show. Uh, I was yeah. say. Oh yeah. Also, one more uh, piece to add, and we'll get to f- uh, favorite scenes since Jim already kind of started us off with that. Um. We love we love a guest who who knows our routine. We we love it. I think. Yeah, I, know, I, yeah, I took the initiative there. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, like Jim, I have never had a public freak out like that in like the cafeteria. I I've gotten close, but like around like but like in a, at a family dinner or you know with you know somewhat like or just with like a an individual in general like but that i him repeatedly asking people of do you think i'm crazy um i think that paranoia is what 
a lot of people who have had mental health issues can relate to and not paranoia as in it's un because i think when i think people have this misconception that just because you're maybe a paranoid schizophrenic or your paranoia is part of your mental illness they assume that you're being paranoid by things that are ridiculous or unlike oh i'm being you know i'm paranoid about the government putting metal chips in my brain or whatever like people assume that anyone who has mental illness and has any sort of sort of paranoia as one of their um symptoms it's that it's this obvious caricature type theory that they form that everyone's out to get them blah 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 but a lot of times that paranoia is just like what are people thinking of me do you think Mm. i'm crazy do you un- do do you undermine my belief system or what I or who I am? Do you think I'm a lesser person than you are? It's you could say it's kind of a chip chip on your shoulder, but it's also just self. Um, uh, what's the word? It's just being self conscious and just worrying that pe- what people are thinking about you. It's something that everyone has, but sometimes it's depending on the mental illness, you can have it to more of an extreme degree. But that idea of, like, you know, if I'm having a mental health crisis or a mental health episode that I've had in the past, um, not recently, thank God, but times when I've been, you know, pretty, pretty down there, it's like, I'm trying, I'm trying to, I'm thinking about, oh, everyone's, you know, the idea of like, oh, everyone's staring at me, everyone's talking about me behind my back, everyone's like thinking this way about me, and you're, that kind of thought process spirals. And him in that freak out is, you know, it shows that to me because he's, because yes, he's angry when he's asking them, do you think I'm crazy? But he's also like in horribly sad, horribly Mm -hmm. sad that he even has to ask that question. Horribly sad that he doesn't even, he knows that they all, they do think he's crazy and that he can't convince them no matter what he does that he isn't. Because then it's the like reaction of Sam and Hannah and they look terrified right and they look embarrassed but then it's like the slow realization that sam has like wait no i need to like embrace my husband and show him that i support uh i i just support him as a as a husband as a partner and then like i need i need it like hannah needs a dad like more than like if we lost a reputation in the community um and i mean like to take it full circle it sucks that like those uh, videos like best acting compilations are going to be found by teenagers like me and then the scene is going to be cut off like like after Shannon's freak out you know what I mean so it's it's like it kind of loses its relevancy because it's been cornered as an o- Oscar scene even though he wasn't nominated but still I know what you mean um, yeah so it's interesting one of maybe the more subtle scenes that I can kind of pick from but I'm always a sucker for a ther- therapy scene. Um, mm. I think actors can really shine in that moment, and I think writing can really shine in that moment. And when you do those therapy scenes, you can always tell who's who has and who has not been to therapy, especially the writer, uh, where you're just like, no one says this, or no one acts like this <laughs> in therapy. That's, like, crazy. Um, and not to be too, like, general but like a lot of times it'll yeah. be this... and it's a it's a tough thing to write too. right it, not, not yeah to... of course it, but yeah. like sometimes you'll have these like huge emotional freakouts in therapy session and yeah of course those happen but 
a lot of times it's just you having a quiet discussion with someone and him talking mm. about his history of in like the the lion delivery to me that stands out that i'm probably will be thinking for a while is that four days later they found her eating trash outside a dumpster mm-hmm. um and and he's shannon's maybe the most calm he is in that scene and in that movie um he is just it's all these facts and just tr- truths that he's speaking there's no emotion in it it's just i mean there's emotion but the way he's presenting it is that it's just this is how it is this is my reality i can't Mm. there yes it's tragic but when i tell you those things i don't truly i the trap that kind of tragedy isn't in my voice because it is just what i've grown up with it's just what it's just my living reality it is what i exist with um yeah and i think that I don't know. It's it's really really impactful, and I think he's spectacular in the scene. I think the actress yeah. um, who plays the counselor is also quite good. So that's my favorite mm-hmm. scene. Yeah. Come in. Hi. Hello. Have a seat. I'm Kendra. Curtis. Okay. I'm going to start by asking you some questions. Okay. I already answered all the questions on the form. Yeah, I, I know I looked at them, but I need to get a profile started on you. Right. Well, out of the five possible symptoms needed to be diagnosed with schizophrenia, delusions, hallucinations, disorganized speech, disorganized behavior, and the negative symptoms, I've had two. Delusions and hallucinations. So... I took this quiz in the back of the book. I scored a five out of a possible 20. Schizophrenia starts at 12, so. They say it might be a a brief psychotic disorder. Yeah, whatever it is, I need to know what to do or what to get on to get this thing under control. I'm a counselor, certified, but I'm not a psychiatrist. I can't prescribe anything to you. I can talk to you. I can recommend where to send you, but that's it. Now, now that said, if you want to talk, I'll listen. For a lot of people, that's a good start. Now, uh, you said here that your mother was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia in her 30s and you're at 35. You want to talk about that? Yeah, I don't know my mother's symptoms. I was just 10. My brother was 17. I don't know, she just left me in the car in the uh, parking lot at the grocery store one day and she didn't come back. And then they found her a week later eating trash out of a dumpster in Northern Kentucky. My dad had to put her in the state hospital, Columbus. And she's been 
in assisted living ever since. Yep. My dad raised me. He died last April. So, um, tell me about these dreams. I mean, like, Shannon seems so locked in and comfortable since uh, the movie feels, like, theatrical, but it's not written theatrically or it's not staged like theater. And it's that combo of, like, someone who is comfortable with a small amount of actors in a few locations, but yet, like, Nichols is, is like, uh, shoots his movies with, with a lot of wide-ranging scope. Um Mine, I will say, is when Curtis confesses his visions to Sam. Mm, that was um, my second choice. Fun fact. It, yeah. Uh, fun fact, it was my yeah. first choice. <laughs> um, it, it's, it's great. I, you know, it's just like it goes back to JL's compliment about them feeling like a genuine, authentic couple that has a history before the film. And uh, yeah, and, and I just, I love like... Uh, Chastain is a great listener in this, like takes in information very well, um, of course. And and like, you know, it, it's it, you know, it's like goes beyond like miscommunication in that moment because it's like, I, I mean, because <laughs> like Curtis is caught in a crossroads. Like, how do you explain this? Like this phenomenon. And, uh, you know, he does his best and like tries to explain why he's concerned about the shelter all of a sudden. And, and it really is putting in the effort to. Um, to explain why he uh, he needs he needs to go and buy mass and, and he's speaking the so the slowly yeah. like he's he's, he's playing very slow yeah he's thinking so hard about very every hard single about word he is saying yeah he is mm-hmm. putting enough thought into each word yeah. as he's speaking like it's truly like completely slowed down and you can and I always. I, I say this a lot when it comes to like kind of analyzing an actor's performance. I love when I see the wheels turn. I love when I see like mm-hmm. in a character, I can see the wheels turn in his head where it's just like, you can see that it's like the gears are turning so ever slowly just, just to basically just try to figure out exactly what he wants to say in that moment, yeah. getting everything else out of his mind, just focusing on the words coming out of his mouth. And it's, I mean, that that's it's like fun. goes back to the idea, like acting is so impressive, right? <laughs> like you have to be thinking as oh, like, gosh, a person, yeah. like, okay, how do I deliver this line? And like thinking about your scene partner, but also like in character and, uh, and, and also just like having everyday thoughts. Like that's just, how can I get, how can I trick someone into thinking that they're seeing an inner, the inner workings of someone's brain that does not exist? that's me it's like i'm walking i'm i'm not looking into michael shannon's brain in that scene i'm looking into um curtis's brain i'm the gears i'm seeing in my head that i'm visualizing to help to like for me process that scene is of a fictional person that does not exist i haven't been honest with you i'm sorry what's going on I've been having these dreams. 
guess they're more like nightmares. That's why I've been acting like this. They, um, they always start with a kind of storm, like a real powerful storm. And there's always this, um, this dark, thick rain, like, like fresh motor oil. And then the things, people, Makes them crazy. They attack me. Sometimes. Sometimes they go after Hannah. First one I had. Red nearly chewed through my arm. That's why you put him out back. dream tonight. It was Stuart. We were at the job site. Storm started. Something happened. His face. His eyes were, were uh, different. He he came after me with a pickaxe and we fought and he, he ran it through my leg. It's, 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 it's hard to explain because it's, it's, it's not just a dream. It's a feeling. I'm afraid something might be coming. Something that's not right. I cannot describe it. I just need you to believe me. I've been to a counselor. I've seen her. I've seen her a few times. You know what I come from. And I promised myself I promised myself I would never leave. And I'm doing everything that I can to make that true. Yeah. No, they're, 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 I mean, like, I kind of gave mm -hmm. a similar compliment to McConaughey 
as mud in our episode on on mud it's it just like i thought of kind of dis- disappears as i was watching this movie i was just i just randomly thought of like how amazing is that scene when he carries um that kid to the hospital and that whole sequence that montage after he gets oh bitten by the snake god yeah what a movie mud rules yeah what a picture Jeff Nichols, good <laughs> yeah. I, I was so glad to go back and revisit that one too because yeah. I'm like, God, yeah, this is this everyone is so damn good. Bill Whitson that it episode really speaks about the movie so lovely, and Jim, so did you sure. today. Thank you for being here. Yeah. Glad we can make this. Oh, work thank you. Finally, um, me too. I can't wait oh for you guys gosh, to come on my show next. Yeah, yeah, next, year, yeah. next year. Let's do that for sure. For that that is love the tease. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was an honor. I, I really am enjoying all the episodes I'm as, catching up as with do on I. your I, show. Your so keep it up. Is fabulous. Um, Thank you. Let's compliment ourselves one more time. Uh, you know, no, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Big hugs. Uh, yeah. Please promote yourself. Where can everybody find you? Uh, I think I'm over at directorsclubpodcast.com and Letterboxd. I believe I'm just Jim Laskowski, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah, those are the two main places. I mean, yes, you can follow me on Twitter, I guess. I just mainly promote myself there. I I try to retweet people in support. Yes. Mainly, that's kind of what I use Twitter for, you know, and that's Jim underscore Laskowski, and that's L-A-C-Z-K-O-W-S-K-I. Thank yeah. you. Thank you so much. Those are the main Perfect. places. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Sweet. Uh, I can be found on, on Twitter where I also <laughs> free tweet and support as we all should do and tweet less. Uh, uh, yeah. I have writing on film at the Boston hassle. Um, recently reviewed Claire Denis stars at noon. I think that came out uh, latest to this episode being recorded good movie everyone should should see that i i think it's freaky and it's you know claire it's denis um, freaky what yeah are you hey i know maybe exo- it's a little maybe romantic ar- is it erotic is it maybe <laughs> sexual i know is there kind of like a hypnotic tinder stick score Whoa, yes interesting, yeah. interesting interesting yeah uh yeah and this movie is not streaming anywhere no nope. you- rented it with four it's a buckaroos yeah oh you paid money for this oh, yeah. homie that's, yeah um yeah but i mean everyone should go you know if if their local library has has a uh, dvd copy as jim can support that as well uh and next episode we yeah. have hannah with cassidy also uh, i promise you we don't do any german oh, accents i can promise you this no <laughs> No, I was surprised. None, none of none of us. I was, did a I was honestly, I was German surprised accent. you did. No. Yeah, all right. Yeah. Well, you were the most surprised. Okay, well, that's that sounds that's like a well, hurtful thing to say, but okay. Yeah, I mean, it's um, it's realistic. And... Okay, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's all for me. Uh, everyone can follow me at Birds of Clay, where I will continuously tweet about the National Basketball Association and the basketball club <laughs> known as the Washington Wizards, um, <laughs> and some random shit too. Uh, please follow me, uh, Mr. Clay Williams on Instagram, Birds of Clay on Letterbox. Uh, when is this coming out? It's like middle of November. <laughs> okay, well I don't know if yeah. if you're in Oregon and it's in the middle of November, vote vote for Tina Kotek. Don't be that asshole who votes for fucking Betsy Johnson. Don't don't do that. <laughs> don't be that person. Don't vote for that like fucking all right whatever that's 
that's another thing. But. <laughs> I find it very funny that you put like political promotions at the very I, end. It's, not like Oregon is about to elect a Republican governor. It's bleak. Uh, <laughs> we haven't done so in forty years. It's bad. So vote for Tina oh Kotek. Don't please for yeah. God's sakes. Okay. Um, I think the election might. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, yeah. If if it's the first week of November, I think it's coming out after that. Oh, all right, we'll fucking break in break into an election uh, a, a ballot box and start stuff in the ballot box. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Um, I can't promote. We I don't know if we can promote. Oh, we can't. Oh. That's right. That's right. It's illegal. I forget. I don't. I, I, don't know. Forget I mean, is that... that? No, that is illegal. That's right. No, good call. Good call. Good call. Don't do that. Are we gonna put? Don't do that. Winky wink. Don't do that. Wink. Don't do that. Um. Yeah, you can follow us on, uh, at ettpod on Twitter. Send us an email at exiting3000s at gmail.com. Um, Tweet at the politicians, right? right and right, harass right. them online. I don't think that's in it. No, we don't do that. Lost. Don't do that. Don't do that. Unless it's Christine Drazen, then do that for sure. Um, <laughs> she's a whatever. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I The whole poli- the politics talk got my brain all rewired. Uh, send it, I, 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 I plugged the email. Exiting through the 2010s at gmail.com. I uh, shout yes. out the Twitter. R- rate, review, subscribe. Give us five stars on any podcast yes. platform you listen to us on, too. Um, rate us on Spotify. Yeah. Wait, can you rate on Spotify? I'm not a Spotify person. I just realized that, yeah, I'm not I either. Didn't know but that. I, know I thought it was only that's, like a. That's a Apple new feature. Oh, yeah, well, I did. T- yeah, well, yeah. All of you go to Spotify and rate us. Yeah. All of you. <laughs> um, Creepy. Spotify. Yeah, Spotify. Thank you. Thank you. Go there now. Oh, wait a minute. This is coming out after Halloween. It works. Sorry. <laughs> I guess uh, Thanksgiving you can be scary. Spend time with your right? family. You know what I'm talking yeah, I about? Know. <laughs> oh, that's, right. a, that's the scariest proposition of them all. Uh, and as always, we'll catch you What's next time. What's scarier than, a, uh, than a revisionist history? Oh, I see. I see. All right, Mr. Woke. Good. Going to give you... <laughs> Give you some points for that one. All right. Now, all of you shut up. And as always, we'll catch you next time on Exiting Through the 2010s.